0: You are listening to A Podcast of Ice and Fire, episode 118, for the week of September 1st, 2013. Note, this episode was recorded in July 2013. Welcome back to The Podcast of Ice and Fire, the longest-running podcast dedicated to George R. R. Martin's A Song of Ice and Fire series. This is Amin, and I- we are taking on the long-promised What If? episode, part 3, where we'll be discussing a bunch of What If? scenarios in the books. I have some special guests here today, and I'm going to ask you all to briefly introduce yourselves and what website you represent, starting in alphabetical order. All
1: right. Hi, this is Alex Smith, uh, co-founder of Tower of the Hand, and uh, happy to be back on the podcast of
2: Ice and Fire again. Then I'm next, right? I'm not yep. really good with the letters. Uh, I am Stefan Sasse. I am a contributor to Tower of the Hand. I have my own blog, The Nerdstream Era, and I do the Boil Leather Audio Hour together with Shanti Collins. Uh, and I'm
3: Steve Atwell. Uh, I'm also a contributor at Tower of the Hand, and I run Race for the Iron Throne, uh, which is a blog about the history and politics of Game of Thrones.
0: Cool. I think we're actually all of us are kind of inter- interconnected one way through Tower of the Hand interactions. Is I think we are all have contributed or will contribute to the uh, the various eBooks that are there, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Like you're going to be contributing to the to the next eBook, him uh, Hymn from Spring, I believe, Stephen.
3: Yeah. yeah so. Um... I think I'm going to be writing about uh, Machiavellianism and also possibly one more look at this difficult question about did Littlefinger, you know, bankrupt the realm.
0: That's always a popular discussion topic. Yeah. (laughs) It would be good to see your point of view on that. So actually, talking about your articles, I thought before we dive into the what-ifs, we've got some what-ifs from the forums, some we've come up with ourselves, Uh, we want to talk about one of your articles that I read a while ago that I thought was pretty interesting, um, titled, um, well, what is the title? Give us a title and a summary. Uh,
3: It's called uh, Winning Battles and Losing Wars, question mark, uh, in defense of Rob Stark. And uh, the inspiration for this article was that Uh, Spencer Ackerman, who's a a well-known national security blogger, um, posted an article uh, criticizing Rob Stark's military strategy called Young Wolf, Bad General. Uh, And I kind of took issue with some of the assumptions and conclusions of that article. And what I wanted to do was reconstruct the thinking behind Rob Stark's military decisions – and uh you know ground them more strongly in the overall strategic position he was in and the political position he was in um and you know because from my perspective you know rob stark is in a situation in which he kind of has to do not everything that he does but many of the things that he does and he's more successful than he's given credit for and this is where um, you know that that uh, thing that I mentioned in the document uh, presentism becomes a problem. Is that we tend to assume that because Robb Stark ultimately spoilers lost the War of Five Kings.
0: Well, <laughs> oh, we don't have to worry about what spoilers, by the way. Yeah, I know. Should... I was just okay. I was just joking. Okay.
3: Um, that uh, that he had to have lost the war. That it was inevitable, and that therefore his actions were in some way stupid. And and what I was trying to point out was that. You know, if you look at the situation from the end of Book One, where Rob Stark has won the battle uh, of the Whispering Woods and won the battle at River Run, he doesn't have a choice as to whether or not to um, go on a westward offensive because his alternative is to allow himself to be flanked from east and west at once, and that he doesn't have the manpower. I mean, to, to assault Hall. And actually, the interesting question here, and I'd love some uh, some other ideas on this, but I've never been entirely clear about how many men it would actually take to assault Harrenhal. Um, you know, the standard military doctrine is, I think you need, like, what, three to one uh, numerical advantage when you're, when you're attacking? And, you know, so that would have meant you'd need about 60,000, given that Taiwan had about 20,000 in Harrenhal. Hall. But it's kind of difficult because Harrenhal is not a normal castle. Uh, So, you know, he he launches this westward offensive initially to prevent himself from being flanked, which is a, you know, a standard military objective. You can't have an enemy on both sides of you. Um, And then to sort of, you know, take the war into the west, out of the riverlands, um, and get Tywin to chase him instead of defending King's Landing... And ultimately, he is successful in, one, preventing himself from being flanked, two, uh, you know, putting a significant amount of damage on the Western lands and basically knocking them out as a military uh, threat to him. And, you know, in the process, uh, picking up a huge amount of resources that the Riverlands desperately need. And he does get tywin to march west instead of east and had had the the uh battle of the fords gone differently even very slightly differently it's quite possible that we would see uh rob stark's overall military strategy as the most resoundingly successful of the war of five kings
0: well just before you guys jump in i just wanted to say that yeah i I, what what i found really interesting about the article um, is if you just watch the TV show, it, it, it you can easily criticize Robert, I think, and I think that's one aspect of the, the show. I mean, maybe out of necessity, but just in terms of what characters they could show and when, is it didn't show Ro- the good the good sides of Rob's command. He just seemed like to would be blundering from one mistake to another beyond his initial battle. Like whereas your article shows that if you look at the books, he did have he was a good general. He made political mistakes, but uh, he was good general. But
3: yeah, and you know the show. The show, I think, made the situation more difficult than it needed to be in that his... Um, by, by not showing him making the trip to Riverrun at the end of Season 1 and then changing the the nature of the battle at the Stone Mill, um, they kind of took some of the, the sense of direction and momentum out of Rob's military campaign so that you know in season 2 it looks like he's winning and they just tell you that he's winning and then in season the start of season 3 it looks like he's losing but there's never a very good explanation to the viewer as to why that is
1: yeah i mean i certainly agree i think and I, and i love the show but i think that the weakest aspect of the show has been its depiction of the war uh from a strategic perspective they they changed so much that the whole thing really doesn't make sense half the time uh you know just just as one example you know the the change where Rob doesn't split uh, split his army in two. I mean, Tywin Lannister, who's supposed to be this great battle commander and who uh, you know is a very disciplined force and and very good scouts. His his men can't tell the difference between 2,000 and 20,000 coming at him. I mean, you know, it's it's easier uh, to mask an army when <laughs> when you at least have a sizable force on the move, which he does in the books. In in the show, 2,000 men. I mean. Well, let's if see if just this, has one example.
0: Yeah. But
2: Stefan, the contrarian, has to say. So I think you might. <laughs> <laughs> the, the contrarian. Uh, no, I, I have to say, uh, without one little detail into which I, uh, I want to get uh, just uh, right uh, just now after the uh, after the series, uh, I have to agree with uh, Stephen's article most of the time. But. Uh, 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 For the show. I mean, they do explain why this uh, works with this scene uh, where the scout is told that 18,000 Northmen are marching Mm -hmm. down. Mm -hmm. So Tyrion gets fake uh, information, and you can be as good a battle commander as you want when your scouts Mm -hmm. report there are 18,000 men. Uh, then that's the information you got uh, until the battle begins. Uh, so uh, it it is explained. I do agree that uh, you don't have any sense of time and place, but that's not a problem uh, that is restricted to Rob's campaign. It's in the whole show. Uh, show where I only say teleporting Littlefinger, and mm-hmm. yeah, and I oh, don't think it matters in the end because really, uh, is the opinion of anyone just uh, what a badass ruler and military guy Tywin is at all impeded by uh, this? Blunder in season one, which they constructed. I think most people have already forgotten it, uh, and I, I wouldn't put it too high on the list that you can't really understand what he's doing. The problem is uh, stuff uh, that Stephen uh, brings in his article about uh, the Riverlands entering later and the impact that the Riverlands have in the show. From uh, the show, I had the impression that the Riverlands are actually pretty small, and that uh, yeah. River Run especially doesn't have a big influence i mean if you recall the scene in uh, season three when carl stark says uh it is not worth the bother to go to Riverrun because there are no troops there i mean the whole <laughs> army of the fucking riverlands is there right? <laughs> <laughs> and two, two, words, no, two the, words for you king Frey. <laughs> <Apparently>.
0: yeah, <laughs> yeah, that, that, but that, people think he's a king because he's like the only guy worth going to <laughs> yeah
3: that, that especially like i found what they did with the numbers in general very confusing because like the Riverlands at the Battle of, of the Forks had, of the Fords, had about 11,000 men. So that's a really, you know, that's like more than, all, that's almost three times the number of the total phrase. Um, and it, it reminds me a lot of what they did with the Karstarks, where all of a sudden yeah, the Karstarks the won half the, <laughs> the Northern Army. Um, yeah. And, you know, what, what I guess I find strange about this is that, you know, I understand that there are limitations placed by budgeting and and when you want to cast people but i also think back to and you know i'm i'm a fan of of shakespeare's history plays which often have to do big battles without the the special effects to pull them off
2: and we're losing the
0: (laughs) year
1: yeah none none of none of what you've said steve is uh coming through at all for an
0: advertisement for Shadow Condoms,
3: right? Now.
2: Perhaps we should um, restart the call. Yeah, put him in again. Yeah.
0: Make sure you buy Empire Sealed Lemon Cakes,
2: best quality. Okay. Yeah, yeah definitely.
0: <laughs> This There's a problem with this call. It's funny, he's got like that angry face icon too.
3: Yeah,
2: yeah.
0: Oh, it's just, it's just him. I think just he got dropped.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, did I get dropped? You How got, much? You got yeah.
0: chopped. Yeah. You, you, okay. You, you lagged out. So where were you?
2: Where was he talking about? Uh, it was the numbers. About- Car struck half the army, and then yeah, he. Yeah, fought- that's that's about oh, where right. we lost you.
3: Okay, so so what I was saying to no one apparently um, <laughs> was that uh, you know I I kind of was reminded of Shakespeare's history plays in that they often involve. Um, Big battles and and military campaigns that are off screen, and I understand that's not the most dramatic technique. But at the same time, I feel like if they'd had one or two scenes where a messenger comes into Rob's tent and says Tywin is marching west, and you know Rob Stark says you know finally this offensive is paying off, you know send a send a letter to my uh, uncle Edmure and tell him to hold River Run. Um, that would have radically simplified and made much more. Uh, clear the the overall military thinking without a huge investment in, you know, either uh, casted actors to play Ed Muir at that point or, you know, huge battle scenes that you could have done it with just a few exchanges of messengers and I think the audience would have followed along.
2: Yeah, it's just not what they wanted to do. I have to. Okay. I have this feeling that numbers and positions and all—it simply doesn't matter in the show. They, they don't pay any attention to it. Uh, armies teleport around. Uh, Strengths change on a whim. Uh, I mean, the Carstarks uh, in season one—they uh, are not even mentioned in uh, season two. They're there, and in season three, they have half the army. It is just what the narrative needs at the moment, and you—you uh, you just have to go along with it. I'm
0: just curious what you guys thought of the the
2: whole Rob's plan in the show to go for. Casterly Rock. Yeah, it, it works in the context of the show. It's as stupid, but it works in the show.
3: Well, I mean, as as a military objective, taking Casterly Rock would, would actually be one of those, and I hate to use the term because I find it's overused, but a game-changer. You know, in, in the same sense that losing Winterfell was a huge setback for Rob Stark, losing Casterly Rock would, you know, in a sense, uh, you know, raise huge well first of all it would cut taiwan off from any further reinforcements or resupply from the Westerlands yeah. the, pr- pro- the problem Westerlands, is he's doing
0: it he's doing it a season too late like if he's doing yeah. it last season then it makes sure. sense
3: but I there's mean. also the political side of it which is you know from from the tyrell's perspective why would they go for all out war against rob stark <clears throat> on behalf of a house that now has 20 an army of 20,000 soldiers who no longer have a reason to follow them. And that's yeah, it. I, I, I feel like the Tyrols
2: at that point would have started moving for a negotiated peace with Robb Stark. I think you are right. Uh, if you argument, if your argumentation builds on all these political imperatives and the strategic thoughts, <laughs> but the show doesn't do that. I think yeah. they <laughs> just put Castle Rock because that's the one castle in Westlands Westerlands yeah. people know. Uh, and that is because it's Castle Iraq. Uh, I think it doesn't go any further than that. You are right in your argument, but I guess the showrunners themselves didn't use these arguments uh, to pitch uh, the Castle Rock plot to HBO. I was
0: to say, Castle Rock has never fallen. What numbers will it take to take it? And even if you, like, it just seems more sense to me. Like, you're talking about Terrell's not wanting to fight a war. They're not going to want to go north. Taking the north plan makes more sense because no one's well, going to come up and deal with you.
3: Yeah. Right. I mean, except, my, and and I point this out in the article is that the problem with the going north strategy is that in doing that Rob has to give up half of his army and you know pretty much has to resign himself that the war is going to be fought on his soil um, not his enemy's soil Um, and you know I don't think that's as winning a a strategy even though yes you can hold Moat Kaelin but then you have to worry about well what happens (laughs) If, you know, the Red Wine fleet and the the Lannisport fleet suddenly show up on my west coast where for some reason I have no navy at all, and... Then it's kind of game over. Well,
0: I, I accept your argument for book one, season one. Yeah, it, it wouldn't it wouldn't have made it sense to stay in the north then. But the thing is, he's gone south. He's done what he can do south. He's lost in the south, and he, he's no king unless he can get the north back. Well, so this is later on going right, back. Right. I mean, and, you, and, you know,
1: just just like Tywin's credibility is is largely shot if he loses Casterly Rock. I mean, the fact that Rob has lost the north has pretty much completely shot his his credibility as, as a king.
3: Yeah. yeah. And uh, this will kind of, uh, we'll, we'll get into this when we get mm. to the uh, what ifs. But <clears throat> I do think that the timing of the red wedding kind of brings in an interesting uh, question mark here. And I didn't actually put this down in the document, but I'll just throw this in for, for future thought, which is if Rob, if, if the red wedding had not happened, or if Rob Stark had avoided the red wedding, about a month later, Tywin's dead, Balon Greyjoy's dead, uh. Joffrey's dead, and the, you know, Lannisters and Tyrells are starting to go at each other's throats politically. So I, I feel like you know we shouldn't assume that the war, certainly the war was not going well when when Winterfell was lost. But I think the idea that it was a hundred percent over. Is pushing it a bit too yeah. far.
0: Oh, I agree with you. That's why they had to kill him at the red wedding, because otherwise it would have right. taken another five years to to sort it out.
1: Well, and I mean, I know this gets into into the what if some too, but but really, I mean the. big mistake which he was forced into somewhat by the political and dynastic situation of his houses was ever trying to make the riverlands part of his realm because historically in westeros the riverlands never turns out well it always ends up being part of someone else's realm that's on a conquering spree because it is just indefensible the north was defensible the riverlands not so much
3: i think I, I would qualify that just to say I think half of the riverlands are defensible namely the trident it's the southern riverlands the sure Marrow no no that, that's the stony Sept that isn't
1: that that's absolutely fair but it, it's hard to believe that that a situation where ended up with half the riverlands was <laughs> e- even going to be realistic either because of the historic dynastic connections between the families sure you could sure. just you
2: know, cut it in half. But sure, I, I agree with what you're saying there. The Trident it, it, is the defensible border. It is also interesting uh, because it never gets really mentioned in the book that when Rob goes north, he basically fucks up the rest of the Riverlands because they have no chance at all to defend against the Lannister Tyrell uh, alliance. So, uh, and uh, it is absolutely to be expected that Tywin will march north. Uh, once uh, rob passes more Kalilin so uh, but Edmure uh, and the other Riverlanders, they never really complain about this in uh, let's put it as treason basically by their new king uh, who lets them to be slaughtered basically
0: yeah well, do some of the like did, were there many rivermen at the wedding or not I'm trying to remember if like
3: uh the um the there... There,
1: there were some, and, and there were a few, few casualties. Uh, you know,
3: Edmure was the the biggest River Lord, yeah. obviously present. Well,
0: part of part of I mean, part of the huge force that's sieging Riveron later on is the Freys, right? They're they're right. part that switched sides, so we would have had them.
1: Right. Uh, basically, Ed Edmure and some some of it. We, we know how important friends. the Freys
0: are, remember? So. <laughs> I
1: was yeah. So you know, there were some pipers there, and there were some Blackwoods there, uh, but not the main. Uh, strength of the of the riverlands didn't didn't get slaughtered in the camps out there like the main strength of the north did
0: I just want, I just wanted to mention I mean like if, if we're going to be accused of being like overly nitpicking or something I think we we all, we all like the show um, where, mm-hmm. When you oh, like absolutely. something, you can criticize it. It's not like you can't criticize or you can't look at. Oh yeah,
1: constantly. and there are some things that I think the show does better. Certain characters that the show, by not being constrained by the POV structure of the book, actually does a better job of getting inside the heads of. So I mean, it's it's always a trade off with an adaptation.
0: Yeah. And, the, and the key point is, you just look at the Red Wedding and look at how people were attached to Rob. The, they either didn't care about him, like it didn't matter that whatever, like we didn't see that the full military side of it. They loved him. That's what mattered. Yeah. Right?
3: Yeah, and and certainly um, I I've written about this a little bit uh, in my chapter analyses of, of Game of Thrones, but I think one of the smartest decisions they made is actually the aging up of Rob Stark because yes. you know if you go back to Game of Thrones, there are certain moments where a character that I call stupid Rob shows up <laughs> and just starts waving his sword at everyone and in general acting like a bit of a brat, and right. I do see that as Problematic for the attachment to the character, uh, whereas the Rob Stark on the show, well not universally beloved, had a very large following. I mean the you know you just have to look at Tumblr. Um, and I think a lot of that credit has to go to Richard Madden, obviously. Mm-hmm.
1: No, certainly aging up all of the children was, was something that was going to be necessary because to, to connect with a, with a general audience uh, when when in our times we have different ideas on adulthood and, and maturity and that kind of thing than they did in the Middle Ages, just to form that connection, you would have to age some of these characters up.
0: Cool. I guess we can get, get into the what-ifs. Um now, who wrote this blue stuff? Is it Stefan that wrote about all this uh, stuff? I'm the
2: blue stuff. No, okay. I'm red. Okay. You know, European socialist red. <laughs> <laughs> Just for France friends at the NSA. <laughs> yeah. so, we have a list of what-ifs here, um,
0: but each of you have, like, these... Not, not that we're going to read the whole freaking paragraph, but in, like, a minute or less, can you tell us what you're trying to say in that paragraph? Steven? <laughs> uh,
3: yeah, sure. Sorry. I'm having... Sorry. Occasionally, it it kind of crashes on me, but... All right, so you mean the paragraph at the beginning? Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So you know, my larger point here is just that you know, as a historian, um, the the things to think about when we think about what ifs are uh, where, when, and where your point of divergence is, uh, because you know, you you need to think about what already happened ahead of time, um, and you know how how previous events are shaping people's actions uh, in the future. You need to think about the difference between historical forces versus contingency, namely that there are long-term forces, economics, society, culture, religion, demographics, that are unlikely to change with a recent uh, POV. Um, whereas, you know, contingency has, can also have huge consequences. You know, the, the example I use is if Brand decides to climb a different tower uh, in Winterfell, you know, the, the day that Cersei and Jaime decide to, uh, to, to bone down, uh, then, you know, a huge amount of the plot, uh, changes. Uh, and then the final thing is the, the butterfly effect. Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that small changes tend to have larger and larger effects over time. Um, and, you know, you need to keep in mind the cascading events, so that what you don't do is... Does it, does anyone here read Harry Turtledove novels, just out of curiosity?
2: Yes, I have read them.
3: Okay. So, Harry Turtledove is, is a good counterexample of, like, how not to do this. Because yes. what he always does is he has some huge change, right? You know, what if the South wins the Civil War? What if Atlantis exists? Etc. But then basically does a version of 20th century history in which there has to be a World War II, there has to be a Hitler, there has to be you know, uh, a civil rights movement, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Even though the, these massive changes should butterfly away events happening just as they did in our time.
2: Cool. And Stefan, you go. had something here you want to say? Uh, yeah, I just uh, went into this stuff because uh, it was in the discussion about uh, do we look at the micro level, so persons and stuff, what uh, what happens to person, persons where in history we historians uh, normally acknowledge the factor of uh, the macro stuff, you know, societies and ideas and structures like the Industrial Revolution you can't tie it to a person but it changed the world much more than just uh, I don't know, killing Abraham Lincoln or stuff like that. Uh, but in a setting like like a Song of Ice and Fire, uh, where we have these uh, feudal uh, societies, we have to take into account the persons much more than we do in our history, and the story is in a pretty short frame of time, I mean, three years or something, so uh, we can firmly stay into the micro level and don't have to look that much into structures.
1: Sure. Yeah.
0: What, I, what I said is just, unlike history, which is a, agnostic, Like this book actually has an author who sometimes wants A to lead to B to happen. So that happens. That being said, we're just going to go into the what-ifs because it's fun. But sometimes A had to happen because he wanted B (laughs) to happen. Okay, so... Yeah.
2: Just as you're mentioning this, uh, when always when I read uh, Stephen's blog, uh, it is just so striking uh, how neatly constructed many of the incidences yeah. and coincidences mm-hmm. are uh, mm-hmm. that Martin needs for this story to happen. There is just one or three, d- one or two days, uh, someone poops uh, a minute later than someone else, and the whole story doesn't make sense anymore. Tywin well, Ta- really
0: doesn't go to that washroom to poop. Yeah, it,
2: <laughs> there are so many coincidences there that make the story work. It is really. Fascinating.
3: Yeah, and that's why I've I've kind of taken to describing George R. R. Martin as almost like you know the the Greek gods of his own story. In that you know he he will pick out certain people to whom things have to happen. Um, and you know it's funny because the the audience often or you know the fandom can sometimes blame characters for for particular actions. But if you step back and look at it from a perspective of what if. You know, you, you sort of see that their agency, in a sense, is is predetermined. That, you know, Catelyn, for example, takes a huge amount of blame. But you can see by the consequences of her actions that, you know, George R. R. Martin, you know, really, it had to happen this way. And in the sense that the gods are picking her out to be the agent of, you know, cosmic destruction. Even though, you know, if, if you look at it from the perspective of an ordinary human being from... You know, standing in in her shoes, that you know, couldn't have possibly known everything that was about to happen.
4: Cool.
0: So we're looking at a list from Game of Thrones. We don't necessarily have to go through it like one by one or or, which, or whichever. But like, I'm just gonna let you guys just shout out ones you wanna talk about. <clears throat>
2: Yeah, then I, I would just start, uh, start with the one uh, I added. I think it's the only counterfactual I added to the whole list. Because uh, at the, uh, it occurred to me on my last reread of Game of Thrones that in the end, when Joffrey holds court for the first time, uh, they send out all these orders to come to court and pay him allegiance. And uh, obviously, as a new reader uh, and even as a second time reader, you will pick up that they uh, call for Arya and for Rob and stuff, and you know, oh, okay, they will never come. But they are also sending out uh, orders to many other people. Uh, Bell and Greyjoy, Lysa, Arryn, Renly, and Stannis, and so on. And no, none of them comes, obviously. But what if they had? So, just taking into account the half of the guys that Joffrey summons to court come and actually pay him allegiance, what would this mean for the narrative? Mm.
3: Hmm. I mean, you know, obviously one of the things it would do is is dramatically shift the the balance of power in the war. That you know, if if for example. Uh, well, I mean it it wouldn't it wouldn't. Like if if Highgarden stayed loyal to the Lannisters, you know, the war is would be almost over from the beginning. Friendly <laughs> would not have a leg to stand on. Um, you know, perhaps Stannis could have made a dash for King's Landing, but you know, if he the the one thing that I don't think would have changed is is uh is Pike because and and this is something that that Tywin himself actually discusses at one point in A Storm of Swords where when Balon Greyjoy writes to him asking for an alliance, he says, why do I need to ally with him? He's already attacked the North. He's given me everything I could want for him. Yeah. So in a sense, like de facto, there was kind of, by, by attacking the Starks, uh, the Greyjoys had essentially aligned themselves with Lannister interests.
2: They, they uh, kind of you know, they kind of wanted to deal with them, right? They did want to make a deal on the from the Greyjoy side. Yeah, for independence, that's nothing the Lannisters can accept.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I honestly think that that his plan was probably more predicated on seeing uh, Renly and and the Southerners actually end up winning that war over the Lannisters, because of course he was doing that at a time when the largest army, you know, putting his plans into motion when the largest army on the field was the Barathians. and, you know, in that meeting where they get that letter, you know, most of, the, most of the Southerners in that reading, Mace Tyrell, Paxton, Redwine, they're like, eh, it's the North, who cares about the North? Yeah. You know, they don't have this same killer instinct that Tywin does, and, of course, Renly, hmm. uh, I mean, Renly doesn't like rebellion, I mean, he wasn't going to let Rob Stark just be completely independent, but Renly seems like a more easygoing guy, and I think Highgarden, and the Tyrells, cared a lot less about the North, so you know, Balon might have had a half-decent chance if if the, the Tyrells had won in King's Landing and then it becomes a Robb Stark versus the might of Renly and Highgarden situation.
3: Or or if he'd gone earlier. I mean, if, if Balon had asked for an alliance before attacking the North, mm. I think that, you know, Tywin probably would have made him an offer, probably intending to betray him at some point <laughs> because that's kind of what he always does. But, you know... Prior to, to his invasion of the North, you know, the, the Lannisters desperately needed an ally at that yeah. point in
1: time. And what they yeah, did, you know,
3: what the, they did the need Ironborn, oh, Sorry. No, sorry. go ahead. Yeah. I was just
1: going to say, you know, the, the Ironborn take what is theirs. They're, they're not going to negotiate and say, you know, wouldn't it be great if we got all buddy-buddy and I could help you here and you could help me here? <laughs> no, they're going to be like, this is ours. We've just taken it we'll be happy to help you as equals. He needed to be in a position where he felt Mm. he was an equal to the Iron Throne in order to be able to offer an alliance, I think, in Ironborn culture. I just want to say um,
0: that that they they also didn't need him as an enemy, because that would have been even worse than him just being neutral. We'll go into that what if a bit later, what if they had actually attacked the Lannisters. But I think... The thing with it, when you look at this this list here, a lot of except for Highgarden, the other ones, were, the other people were already against the Lannisters. Like it wasn't like they already had fled. They had just fled from the Lannisters, like Stannis and Renly, so they weren't coming back. It's kind of like a what if that can't happen, but the Highgarden is one maybe they could have made a deal. Yeah, with, I mean
3: uh, they could have done a deal with. I mean the the Loras connection makes it tricky, but huh. you can definitely see Mace Tyrell being open to making the the Marjorie trade early on in the war, um, you know, or even, you know, at the very moment that that Robert dies, you know, he's he is very focused on that objective. Um, You know, one one thing I wanted to bring up just because I thought it was kind of an interesting path not taken is the number of times that uh, the Starks think about going to Dragonstone in a Game (laughs) of Thrones and they never do. And I've always been sort of really curious about this. Uh, this connection that doesn't happen, um, and I just want to know what people thought.
2: You mean Edard going to Dragonstone?
3: Well, Edard thinks about going to Dragonstone when he resigns, um, and also when when he's planning to uh, to flee the the capital. Uh, but Catelyn also talks about potentially visiting Dragonstone on her way down to King's Landing. Yeah, yeah, you, um, you know, and you can sort of see, again, this is the hand of George R. R. Martin, because, you know, uh, in the same way that we don't get a Varys Mm. or Littlefinger point of view, because they know too much, Stannis knows too much for that point in the story. Uh, Because, you know, if Mm. if they land on Dragonstone and he talks to them, I mean, granted, he's kind of, you know, especially uh, at the the beginning of, uh, you know, A Clash of Kings... He's paranoid enough, and he doesn't particularly like Eddard that much, that he might have just kept shtum about it. But, you know, if he had actually said, oh, yes, I think, you know, Joffrey, Tom, and, and Marcella are bastards, and, uh, you know, here is the evidence that, you know, I brought to John Arryn, and this is what we uh, this is what we investigated, and then I think they assassinated him. You know, that dramatically accelerates Eddard Stark's actions. Uh, yeah. You know, and it also means that instead of going about this investigation in the dark, where he knows that something is going on but he doesn't know what it's about, that he could just kind of turbocharge everything and sort of say, "Okay, I need to look for all of Robert's bastards. I need to examine." You know, I mean, for example, the the book, right? That you know he's puzzling over for for a good part of the the series. You know, if if he would known that the subject was uh, you know, the Baratheon inheritance, you know, he could have really sped things up, but he didn't.
2: Um yeah. If you have any communication between Stark and Stannis Baratheon, the story simply doesn't exist as it does. Uh, supposedly, if Catelyn, with its storm, when she comes mm. down to King's Landing, the Lannisters are toast instantly. Because uh, Eddard Stark would go to Robert Baratheon and they would uh, they would incarcerate Cersei and then they would team up against well, Tywin. Well, here's the, the thing,
0: though. What if Ned does the same thing he did later, just be like warning her? Right. Might yeah, I
3: mean, I,
2: I think uh, I think Edward would
3: have still watched
1: the, the the end game there.
3: Well, but the question is, you know, the going to Cersei was a disaster because Robert died, and you know, a, another uh, what if, which is if you just move the timeline of Robert's death even by a few days, the war chain, takes an incredibly sharp turn because you know one. If news gets back about the Battle of Mummers Ford before Robert dies, uh. then Tywin Lannister is a traitor and a rebel in the eyes of the realm. That's a huge change. You know, if if Robert isn't dead and he finds out about Cersei, then Cersei doesn't have control over the royal establishment that she does through Joffrey in his absence. So, you know, yes, I don't think... I think there's a good chance that Edard's political... Uh, naivete would certainly prevent it from being a kind of a, um, a Varus esque kind of Machiavellian uh, decapitation strike. But you know, certainly, I think the war would have been much much harder for the Lannisters to fight and win because you know, if Robert is still alive at the point in which the the Lannisters are found out, there's a very good chance that the ho- that Renly's plan um, to marry him to Marjorie dramatically
2: reshapes Westerosi politics. I think in that scenario, Cersei would have taken a chance and run. Hmm. Beca- yeah, because I mean, certainly she, she would have she made
3: a, a run for Casterly Rock.
2: Maybe. It simply doesn't matter. She would have run, and there would be no Lannister play for power, because she has no chance to assassinate Robert within the Red Keep within 24 hours. It's just, she simply can't hmm. pull that off. That's well,
0: here's the question. Is, who, who really had the power in, in the city? Like, was it Robert? Was it Cersei, was it Littlefinger with his money? Like, who actually had the power to get somebody killed? Mm. I mean, the,
3: the interesting question is, certainly Littlefinger had an enormous amount of power because the gold cloaks were his, oh. to an extent, right? I mean, yeah. he certainly, he, he I, I think that, you know, the um, Slint was clearly tight with, with Littlefinger going way back, and he's got the money. At the same time, though, like, political legitimacy matters. And I think Geno Slint is certainly the kind of guy who would say, you know, I will, uh, I will act in defense of Joff- you know, King Joffrey in return for the Lord of Harrenhal, because that grants me legitimacy as a Lord. But to say I will kill a sitting king is a very different proposition for him.
0: Yes. Or um, well, you sent Sir Mandan Moore to do it.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's another. I mean, a ki- murder by a Kingsguard would be quite possible. Uh, you know, Mandon Moore, Boris Blount, uh, Preston Greenfield, you know, that is one possibility. Uh, on the other hand, you know, if no. if Sir Barristan Selmy is in the room when that happened, then chances are you've got yeah. some dead Lannister Kingsguards. <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I,
1: I really don't think Cersei would have run at that point. You know, it seems to me when there's a fight or flight situation, she does her best to fight. And for her children, I think she would have still tried to see Robert killed and would have probably ended up doing something pretty reckless. Whether it succeeded or not, I, I think it would have created some really massive complications.
2: Yeah, yeah definitely. We can agree, I think, that... Any of these scenarios look very unfavorable in comparison for the Lannisters in comparison yeah. to what happened in the books.
0: Well, if you just look at the board game uh, Game of Thrones and see how the Lannisters are always in trouble, you can see that the Lannisters really lucked out in the books. It's, this is like that one board game where everything worked out for them that one session. Yeah. But, like, yeah. If you change uh, anything half the time. Like t- nine out of ten times, the Lannisters would have lost that war. I think.
3: Yeah. Uh, by the way, yeah. I've played that game twice now. Yeah. It's a lot mm. of fun.
0: Oh yeah. It really is. Just don't play it with your partner.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, no, bad idea
0: <laughs> Alright, let's go back to the list here Let's keep firing
2: um,
3: Who's the, let me see, someone really wanted uh, giving command of his foot to someone other than Bruce Bolton
2: mm. Yeah, that was me because that, that's just another uh, game changer, really, because, because it changes everything down the road. If Rob had given command uh, of his foot to say the Great John, which is his uh, threatening to Kathleen, so much of what happens uh, in the novels later would have been avoided, <laughs> especially Roose Bolton's uh, switch to Tywin, because Roose Bolton wouldn't have had uh, the leisure uh, to communicate with Tywin when he sits in Harrenhal and to make up all these alliances that he does. Yeah. Uh, if he had been had been in the West campaigning with Rob, the
3: the thing that I was thinking of, in addition to like making alliances with Tywin Lannister, is Roose Bolton. You know, if you look at his military command throughout the War of the Five Kings, even before it looks like he's turned on Rob, is clearly engaged in a campaign of I wouldn't quite call it sabotage. But he's basically trying to, like, make sure that every other northern house gets decimated. Yeah. Right, uh, because I,
1: I do find it very interesting that, that in that first battle of the Green Fork, you know, pretty much every notable, you know, gets either captured or killed in that battle. <laughs> Alvis Hornwood and Medra Sherwin and, and, and all of them. Yeah. yeah. Even before and, he's... You know,
3: yeah, go ahead. I, well I was also gonna say, you know, and, and the Green Fork is a good example. Um, you know, Duskendale is a huge one, the Ruby Ford, oh, you know, yeah, all, all Star- of those.
1: But, but you know, those those are after I mean, I think that he sent that order for Duskendale after he had made the decision that, that oh, he was gonna move on his absolutely. own.
3: I think that was I think that was quite deliberate strategy right. because you know Duskendale and the Ruby Ford. I think involved a, yeah. a good degree of, of coordination. Mm. You know he has to tell the Lannisters when and where the the North exactly. is is going to attack. But the, the thing I
1: the, find interesting is
3: even at the, the Green Fork,
1: you know he's yeah. seems to be sacrificing a lot of other people.
3: Yes, you know? and and that's kind of the one of the basic questions in this one of the big questions in the series that you know remains open, and I'm going to be focusing on when I. Finally, get out of a Game of Thrones in my in my recaps is when Roose Bolton actually turns because mm. you know his action, the actions of House Bolton at Winterfell are a big question mark. I mean, how much yeah. of that do we give to Ramsey? How much of that is Roose? You know, because one of the, I mean, at least as in so far as you know, I've picked it up on message boards and Reddit and so forth. You know, a, a common theory seems to be that it was the fall of Winterfell. Where Roose Bolton says, okay, Robb Stark is doomed, I'm switching sides. But at the same time, the destruction of Winterfell as as a military and political center for the North happens because of House Bolton.
2: Yes, but he couldn't have planned that. I mean, just because Ramsay sits just where he needs to be, that's more Martin's uh, Greek god uh, affliction, <laughs> uh, more than uh, Roose Bolton's deliberate plan. But I think uh, the question you pose, uh, when does uh, Roose Bolton turn, you can deduct it from Arya's chapters in Heron Hall, uh, because there is this one moment uh, when this uh, nasty Frey boy, who always goes on about marrying her without knowing that it's her, uh, he just says, oh, our house was betrayed, and now everything is bad, <laughs> and stuff, and uh, I think it's uh, even the same chapter when Roose Bolton sends out this message to uh, for the attack for Duskendale. And we also learn that he before, prior that he, when he attacked Harrenhal, uh, he made deals with uh, the Brave Companions uh, about taking the castle. So then he was committed to warfare because otherwise it wouldn't have made any sense to plot to get the Brave Companions on his side. Yeah, I, so I, it, it had to be in that time.
1: I, I really think it was, it was after the Frey Betrayal, uh, you know, at that, that, that moment when he, you know, that it crystallized in his, his head. I think that it's questionable whether he would have been so bold if the, the situation hadn't played out well in the North. Um, I, I think that was entirely Ramsey being Ramsey, but it gave him the opportunity. And, and, more importantly, it gave him a solid negotiating ground with the Lannisters because when he mm. could, you know, when he's saying, uh, you know, I'll betray them, you name me warden of the North. When Tywin can that he's already the dominant figure in the North, that that's ah, real hey. bargaining power, power, right? The dominant North sh- man sh- figure in the North. I mean, there's still the ironborn
2: there and. You also have to take into account that Edmure makes uh, ruse uh, a real present bag because he orders uh, the, uh, all these Freys down to Harrenhal to assist him, which uh, <laughs> uh, sets Roos into the very, very convenient position to be able to communicate yeah. with Freys directly. Uh, and and the other terrible Ruth thing
1: that people don't often mention is that it was Edmure that ordered Helm and Talhart to leave the twins and yeah. Yeah. join Rus's army. Hellman, who was there to make sure that things were all on the up and up, uh, you know, because yeah, there's no way yeah, they can no plan thing. something like the Red Wedding with without the Northmen North being things. able to yeah. notice because they're getting all their military might together,
2: you know. Yeah, that's Jim.
0: Yeah, your boy Edmure Muir. It's
1: just... um, yeah, really causes he... almost all of the problems
3: that end yeah. to, to but Bob. again,
0: is is it something that just Martin needed to be done? Kind of like no, yeah, no I no, mean no. you can
3: see the it's like pawn's getting moved into position for you know a move five times... you know five moves out you know he, he's setting up the pieces for the red wedding and when you go back through the the book you can you know you can see it happening mm-hmm. uh in almost in slow motion um whereas you know the first time round you know there's this sort of willing disbelief uh that this is going to happen um okay what is this Eddard crowd surfing,
0: what if? Before we get into that, I still want to finish okay. the, the sure. well. two things. One I wanted to say is, I mean, Edmure setting the guys away from the twins, okay, it's not the best move, but it still wouldn't have been a problem if Rob hadn't betrayed the, the twins in the first place. Sure. Like, he can't foresee yeah. that happening. Um, but you know? It's kind of like he's taking away the insurance. It's like yeah. he, he still ha- the harm still needs to be well, caused there, by Rob. There, there's,
1: there is this interesting phenomenon where there are all these people that have proved themselves untrustworthy in the past, that suddenly Rob <laughs> thinks that, or Edmure or, or any of them can think that they can deal with openly. So, yeah, you couldn't predict the Red Wedding happening. No. But Walter Frey is a known opportunist. He couldn't predict that Balan Greyjoy was going to go after the North. But, you know, sending Theon back to do that yeah, negotiation yeah. as if Balin Greyjoy could be trusted to come in on their side. I mean, a lot of the people that betrayed him are people that even if you can't predict exactly how it was going to occur, there are people that it's not that surprising betrayed him.
3: What's what's yeah. the line from Firefly? Curse your sudden but inevitable betrayal. <laughs> but inevitable betrayal, yes. <laughs> okay. So
1: back to
0: that, the question of like putting somebody other than Roos, which I think is a good idea. I don't think necessarily the Great John would be because the Great John might have lost that whole army to Tywin if he just went charging in. But
3: that's a yeah, possibility, I mean, but you know you've got um, be
0: more careful. You've got Galbert.
3: Rus. You've got the two Glover brothers yeah. uh, who are who are quite good commanders, uh, Galbert and Robert Glover. Are you know experienced soldiers? Um, you know in in charge of you know large contingents. Um, you know I think uh, at one point Catelyn sort of when she's still in the position of telling Rob like that he shouldn't go out uh, to, to lead the war suggests one of the two of them I can't remember as like a potential other commander. Um, and you know it is interesting given the, the history between House Bolton and House Stark. Mm. That, you know, you'd think that they would give the command to the, you know, the Glovers are certainly more, um, are certainly seem to be a, a more loyal household.
0: Well, we know from, from John that Ned didn't dislike Roos, but he never trusted him, right? Yeah. I think Rob would know that as well, right? Or Caitlin. Yeah. Never trusted I don't think him. You are-
2: you are taking into account too much rationale because uh, what hmm. you are forgetting just now is uh, that in this world of personal relations and feudal relations, you can't just take one of your biggest bannermen and say, hey, I don't trust you, but please give me your troops. You don't get any <laughs> command of meaning, uh, but uh, go along, please. You, sure. you, have to, you have to give some leeway. Okay, this, well, you, can't, you can't just get it, give it some glover who has a, a wooden palisade somewhere on the Stony Shore uh, hey. and, uh, and jump over someone like Bruce
1: and, you know, and from a military perspective, I mean, giving it to Roose Bolton did make a lot of sense. I'm not sure that any of the other Northmen who, in general, te- sen- tend to be a more direct group of people in their relations would have come up with a similar plan to take Harrenhal that, that Roose Bolton did. I mean, yeah. militarily, Roose Bolton did a very good job with his command.
3: Well, yeah. I, I actually think he's got a more iffy record. Like, yeah. you know, yes, he takes Hall. At a point in time in which it's not really defended. I mean, um, and, you know, he doesn't do all that well at the Green Fork. You know, he does have a good idea about uh, March, uh, about, you know, that nighttime March, but it doesn't quite work. Um, Well, But I I, I would
1: argue that the nighttime March did work because it wasn't really about. um, Yeah. Surprising the Lannisters and routing the Lannisters, it was more about their the, making sure that the Lannisters, if the Lannisters, like, oh my God, there's Northmen and they're right here, and they don't take the time to yeah. scout the army properly and realize that it's it's just a bunch of foot soldiers that the horse isn't there. So yeah, I, I, don't I think, mean, yeah.
3: I I agree with that. Uh, I I have to say I think the Battle of the Green Fork is one that I understand the least, in part because I don't have a very good spatial conception of it yet I mean I'll mm-hmm. have to reread it but I I can't figure out whether Taiwan's trying to go east-west or north-south right um, and you know so you know I'm not exactly sure how the because rivers have a unique strategic nature to them they are a barrier or they are a, a route of movement um, and I can't really tell what role they're playing in the green Fork okay
0: yeah, I think I know what you mean mm-hmm all right. Which, which, what were we going on to before I pulled this back?
3: Uh, the, what was your idea about the crowd surfing thing? Because that one just looked fun. Oh, okay. <laughs>
0: I think I was talking about uh, when Eddard was going to be executed, and they shocked him, right? They're like, well, I mean, it was going to be pardoned or whatever, like sent to the wall, and then they said, bring me his head. Right. Like what if Edward had just jumped into the crowd?
1: I don't know, Why don't you jump into a the crowd moves? with a broken leg?
4: Yeah.
3: <laughs> well, I I, also, you given that the jump. crowd was given that the crowd yeah. was like throwing stones at yeah. him, I think. The, they, you know, what would have, have changed is that Eddard Stark would have died by being born <laughs> the <pieces. laughs> no, so, yeah, so, I, the,
0: the crowd hated him, right? I'm just trying to say, why was the crowd... Was the crowd hated him? Because the crowd likes to hate people? Or did they hate him? Yeah. Like, they didn't really have a reason to like Joffrey.
3: Well, I think it's... I think it's more that... I mean, remember in the same way that, like, uh, even after being shot at by Joffrey, they come up with the story yeah. of the demon monkey? The, well, which... the King's... The King's Landing crowd... Doesn't have a very sophisticated political analysis. What they have are certain tropes, right? Um, you know, they have hmm. the the evil queen, right, or they have the demon monkey. And I think the well, rebellious lord is a common is a common trope that they were sort of slotting Edard into. So it's like the king is dead. They don't know about any of the plots going on, and probably, and this is my guess you know, there have been Lannister agents out in the crowd saying, oh yeah, he betrayed the king, isn't that awful? Um, and then, you know, kind of priming them to, to hate him, and then he confesses. Oh, a, a slightly more interesting question is, what if he kind of goes to confess, but then says, you know, the Lannisters killed Jon Aaron, the Lannisters killed the king, Joffrey is, you know, a bastard of incest, Stannis is the true king. I mean, at that point, even if they chop his head off, that's going to have a political impact.
1: Well, I, I think that in the, for the most part, it would just end up being confirmation bias. I mean, the king's told us he's a traitor, and he's just said something traitorous, so he must be a traitor who would say anything.
4: I yeah, mean- but
3: I mean, the, the interesting thing is that even though Stannis's letters don't seem to have much of an impact initially, when that riot starts, right when when the people are hungry and the the shine is off on Joffrey. Right, They start chanting, "brotherfucker" fucker, at uh, Cersei. Well, in so, all honesty,
1: I think that riot was staged, and I think the people that were shouting that were Oh, plants. really?
3: You, you think that uh, was the, the antler men? Well, I, no, I mean, I
1: really think, I mean, obviously the people were unhappy, but there there are a key series of specific events that send Joffrey into a rage, and then there's the fact that Tyrek Lannister disappears completely
3: oh, oh, in the is, middle of is that. Varys at work?
1: I think it might be. I I don't hmm. think we've seen the last of Tyrion Lannister. i would
3: never, never thought of of the the riot being staged before. Because I mean, clearly it's
1: a, a a you know an unhappy crowd, and and people are not happy in the city with the conditions. But you have a couple of specific things happening: the woman holding the dead baby, the shit being thrown at Joffrey's head, and a few people shouting that really get the riot going. Along with Joffrey, you know, being a being a little shit like he always is. So I, I really do wonder about that riot.
0: Well, Stefan is shaking his head right now. I think.
2: Yeah, I'm. I really am <laughs> shaking my head because it's one of these, uh, one of those uh, theories that would require just too much stuff being playing out exactly like planned. I mean, the the woman holding the baby, she needs to get past the gold clothes. There is really no guarantee for something like that. Then she has uh, okay. She she could do this uh, brotherfucker thing, I guess. And then Joffrey would need to give this exact stupid command uh, to cut down the people who threw the shit uh, instead of just riding on. It's just too many coincidences. I feel like the baby
0: I, one could have been a fluke, but the throwing the shit at the head would have been enough probably to.
1: I I think Joffrey is predictable enough in that regard. And I I also find it interesting that you know when when half the important nobles and dignitaries in the court were out there varus wasn't one of the people in the yeah, the yeah thing but that, you, you generally
2: don't show Varys. Yeah. uh he th- this was an um a very um, monumental thing they they just sent Mursala off uh, and everyone who needs to be shown and who needs to be seen was there in varus well, no, doesn't no, fit I, this category
1: no no i i well, i would concur with you on that but it's it, what i mean is it's it's you know, it's convenient that he doesn't have to be there to, to take any of the risk, either. You know, that yeah. it that yeah. happens during an event that he's not I, going to be present for.
3: I guess my my skepticism is that of all the people to take uh, uh, hostage, prisoner, whatever you want to call it, Tyrek Lannister is pretty far down on the food chain. I agree with you that percent Even 100%. as a Lannister. So I'm a little bit, like... You'd have to be thinking in, inter- like, tenth-dimensional chess terms. Like, well, okay, you know, we're gonna kill you're... every other Lannister before Tyrek. Well, if, so if, we if you puppet, if
0: you win, you can do that, wrong. though. If you win, if you win like, Westeros, you can kill the rest of the Lannister.
3: I'm not
1: saying that, that taking yeah. Tyrek was the only objective of doing a whole riot. He might have been... Ah. To, hoping to to weed out some of the yeah. some of the herd too. No, was but, it was it Littlefinger like, there oh. or
0: not? I'm just curious. Was Littlefinger at, at that event or? Uh, all
3: the same thing. he, no, he
1: was Already out of the city, wasn't he, Littlefinger? Yeah. He was already and, out. And we know
3: that he likes thing. to do these kind of sneaky schemes when he's out of the city. Now, who, so that's it's that's true.
1: Could also be Littlefinger that decided. Saying, who, who
0: died? Like didn't, didn't some Kingsguard die in that riot?
1: Uh, Preston uh, yeah, Greenfield. Sort of. Who
0: replaced them in the, after that?
1: It uh, Bay- was Swan Swann replaced Swan, him. Oh,
0: just Bale, yeah? No,
3: no, yeah. Balon Swan Yeah, already, the one
2: shoe knight doesn't make Bale Bale it. it. Balon
3: Swann th- was already in the Kingsguard. It I either or that was
2: the I think it's
0: Kettleblack. I'm just saying. Like, I mean, this is a yeah. huge stress. But if you're going to go with the conspiracy theory, then you could say, well, maybe Varys and Littlefinger both
2: got something out of it. Actually,
1: weren't Balin and Osmond elevated at the at the same time?
2: Because yeah, was already in the Kingsguard. No, Balon Swan gets into the Kingsguard uh, after, uh, the, uh, after the riot. He right. oh, see, I riot. not the Kingsguard well enough.
1: No, That's Preston Preston Greenfield and Boris Blount were the two members of the Kingsguard that got replaced by Balin Swan and Osmond Kettleblack. Boris, because he was, you know, stripped. And then after Mandon Moore died, that gave them the, oh. the position where they could put poor, Boris back on the Kingsguard. So... I, but, but I don't think who died in the Kingsguard is, is probably relevant. I, I think there's a good chance the riot was staged. And I agree that on the face of it, Tyrek Lannister doesn't seem like he'd be that important. On the other hand, the fact that Martin still brings up from time to time that they haven't found him leads me to believe that Tyrek's going to have some kind of role in the story. And, and, that we, and there might be something going on there that we're not aware of.
2: Yeah, maybe.
1: But I okay. agree on the face of what we know; it it wouldn't make sense to just cart Tyrion Lannister off.
0: All right, back to list. Any other from the first book?
3: Um, I'm I'm ready to go on if.
0: Uh... Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, well, the question is, when you say what if Rob declared for Renly or Stannis, I think part of the problem is uh, another problem you mentioned from your article. It all stems from the fact that he was crowned king, which yeah. wasn't necessarily yeah. a good. It's, it's like when the whole I think when the Holy Roman Emperor was like crowned like, the Holy Roman Emperor. That wasn't necessarily a helpful thing, because then he had to protect the the Pope all the time. Like, it was not really a beneficial title. I
3: like, think yeah.
1: Rob would have ended up declaring for Stannis, because that would have been the right uh, thing to do, the honorable yeah. thing to do. I mean,
3: he's, but, he certainly says at that, uh, when they're discussing their options, he says that Stannis has the right. Uh, but the issue, I think the problem is one of timing, in that Stannis had not declared himself. Right. Um, and, um... No, no. You know, the, didn't have an army uh, in the field, and the, the interesting thing is actually, and this is where the show is different from the from the book. In the show, Eddard actually gets his letter to Stannis out, and I think right. that could have potentially made yeah. a huge difference. I think I they think had
0: it, crowned themselves, though, right, Stefan? Like, didn't didn't
3: the, Renly had, but not no, Stannis. No, my problem, I, was, my I, problem I think
1: Stannis had crowned himself, but he hadn't declared himself to to the nobles of the realm
2: yet. You know. uh, that doesn't matter because uh, they are they are That's discussing true. in this last Catlin chapter in uh, Game of Thrones, they are discussing whether they should throw their lord with Renly or with Stannis. And then Rob says Stannis can't be king because Joffrey is. It doesn't matter whether he has declared or whether he has an army. The thing Wait, is, he, he has that? no claim. Oh, it no, is no, an no. I, I think so he says
3: that Renly ha- can't be king because Stannis is the older brother. I don't remember him saying. Well, he says but he's going Stannis... to kill
2: Joffrey. That's the thing. He plans to kill. Joffrey. Yeah, yeah. He, he says uh, he says explicitly that uh, Joffrey is the rightful king. That he is an asshole and that he will chop his head off. But that Joffrey uh, is the rightful king, right. and not Stannis.
1: But I, I, what, I, what I meant is that I think that eventually, you know, when more facts had come to light, that Rob would have done the right thing and, and declared for him that he had still been a rebellious lord at that yeah. point. But the problem is that everyone got carried away and named him <laughs> king. And once you've been named king, you can't just stop being
2: king yes. because yeah.
1: then your people get kind of mad at you.
2: Yes, that's actually a point I made uh, at length in my uh, initial essays about the War of the Five Kings it's three years back now, I, uh, I think, uh, because uh, this naming king not only by the Northmen but by the Riverlands uh, really fucks up his whole strategic situation because now he is yeah. committed to defending the Riverlands, which is basically impossible once you face the rest uh, of the Seven Kingdoms, even right. – even if the Aryans would throw their lot in, if you have the Westerlands, the Stormlands, and uh, the Reach against you, you can't hold the Riverlands. There's no chance.
3: Right, but here, here's my critique of that, which is that you know if he, if he decides not to defend the Riverlands at all, then he only has the North, which means that he's lost half of his military strength. So while defending the Riverlands puts him at a military disadvantage, in the sense that, um, you know, it's more territory that he has to cover somehow. It's also a huge asset in that, one, it puts him within striking distance of his enemies, and two, it gives him tens of thousands of soldiers that he he wouldn't otherwise have. I mean, what's he going to do if he he doesn't ally himself with the Riverlands? He'd basically have 18,000 men up against twice that many from the Lannisters and... Yeah. You know, it's not it's even, here it it becomes the real problem,
1: else. and and it becomes well, what are you trying to do? Are you trying to avenge your father? Okay, that means going taking King's Landing, executing Joffrey. That means you need lines of supply going straight through the heart of the Seven Kingdoms. You need the military strength, so you need the Riverlands. Uh, but or or do you want to be king? Uh, and if you want to be king, then the most the most reasonable thing to do within those geographical boundaries is to pull back into the north, declare the north independent, use Jamie as a hostage to guarantee the the integrity of your new realm and 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 become king but these two objectives got mixed together it started off as go avenge my father which is why he had to make the ties with the riverlands in the first place but then it suddenly became now I'm king and I just think those were two incompatible objectives based on the on the geography and the military strength etc
3: well yes, i mean exactly. my my criticism of that is what happens if you pull back into the north and then an army of you know Potentially a hundred thousand men land at your door, um, you know, on the west coast of, of the north, and you can't do anything well, about it. T- you two know, things: the, is one, do the other advantage- numbers
0: to the logistics to bring somebody there, and two, are they actually going to do that? Like, are the yeah, money- I'm,
3: I'm well,
1: not sure that they could actually move a hundred thousand strong army okay. with at, at their level of sophistication.
3: I mean, depending on depending on when the the um, The situation in the south is settled i mean i think if you combined the the royal fleet the red wine fleet and the lannisport fleet you could probably maybe not in one um in one chunk but you can certainly move i mean well there's another thing you have to keep in mind winter is coming
0: and and everybody knows and
1: and everybody knows winter is coming and there's right, but that doesn't mean
3: the seas freeze over no, we're not going to be an, an army that, like uh,
1: that. A southern army that has no idea. Look at Stannis, who's considered a brilliant battle commander, who has tons of military experience, and and look what happened to him in a dance with dragons, because he thought, well, Winterfell's not that far away, I'll just <laughs> jaunt on over there. I mean, there's mean, no way you you they mean could... mean his uh,
3: crushing victory
1: over Ramsay Bolton? I think he's going to end up with a victory, but look at how hard it was for him yeah, sure. to get his army there. And that's a right. much smaller army way. with local support. Yeah. from the Mount Clans. But he's They've also taking a the army route. with No local support and 100,000
3: strong. They'd never be able right. to take it in the middle but of exactly. the here's the thing. Ty- uh, Stannis is marching from the Wall down to Winterfell, which is a journey of like 700 miles on foot. And he makes it even longer by going out to Deepwood Mott. If instead a fleet sails up the West Coast and goes up the Lock river the to Torren Square, you-, you drop that, the march distance down to about fifty to hundred miles. Yes, so, you do. But... And, and the the other question is is I'm sorry, I'm 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 uh, uh, dominating things a little bit. I'll pull back in a second. The other question is, what's your overall objective? If if you try to take and hold the whole of the North, I could see that becoming a, a kind of a quagmire because it's too big. And guerrilla warfare is just too easy. If instead you do what the, you know, uh, uh, what the um, in the Hundred Years' War was called the chauvage, where you basically just burn everything in your path um, and then go back home and then just keep repeating that, I think they could have devastated the North. Because look what the, the Ironborn did with much, much fewer men. I mean, the Ironborn have, I think, what, 10 20,000 soldiers tops? Sure, but
1: they did it again. Stay virtually undefended, North, uh, rather than one where Rob Stark's power would have been in the North.
2: Yeah, right. and what exactly does prevent Rob Stark to pull a Dorne uh, and simply uh, vanish in this really? Big ass <laughs> land, and, and let uh, the the supposedly Tyrell Lannister army that landed there run away, take Winterfell, okay. sit there, draw up their banner, and then yeah. uh, hide in the mountain clans and always say winter is coming, winter is coming. Okay. And, and, and and I
1: then, really don't think that the Tyrells would have had the stomach for such yeah. a war because I mean, they're ready to give Balon Greyjoy the
3: north. What if what if the Tyrell Lannisters instead decide to just burn Winterfell to the ground, then go burn White Harbor, then go burn Ramsgate, then go burn? You know, uh, uh, I think this is where uh, uh, Robert Parathian's comment in the show kind of does have a certain ring to me, which is if you can't protect your people, at a certain point they will, you know, you will start losing them. If all if the, the Lannisters and Tyrells can just keep sacking cities and, and castles in the north. Um, and not try to hold anything.
1: I don't know. know, There's an
3: enormous amount of damage that they could do. I I think
1: in terms of the the climate and the geography and the logistics, this is more Russia in 1812 than it is, you know, 100 years war in terms of, you know, trying to get a big army to, to occupy strategic places and, but what if I you're just not don't trying to
0: occupy? I just want to mention a couple things. One is, like, we're, we're assuming that the lannister Tyrell thing happens. Like, w- w- like that's what happened later on. But the, earlier yeah. on, if he's not king and he can go up north, like, everyone else is going to fight it out down south and he just stays up north and doesn't lose anything for a while. But, like, and second, is assuming the Tyrells go up there. Third, I think you're just giving too, too high of a technological, like, level to these people to be able right. to bring that many troops over and to supply them. And we see how the north has survived it. Like, it's the last kingdom with all the first men. They've faced this problem before. Like, Moat Cailin is the main way in, and they've blocked it. Yeah, but
3: they've faced a land invasion. They've never faced a sea invasion on a large scale. I'm saying
0: they they can't do a large-scale sea invasion. Yeah, I really don't think they could. We've just seen
3: a large-scale sea invasion in, in the Blackwater. That's eminently possible.
0: That, that, right. That's not the numbers that you. That's not enough people to take. That's the north. twenty
3: thousand. That's, so, that's not enough
2: people to take north. No, and it's not, not the twenty thousand. March uh, from Storm's End yeah. to King's Landing. Right,
3: but they the ships were there in order to bring them across. So they might oh, yeah. have got enough they, to put them across. The
1: river, like a river. Right to bring them across one river. It's it's you don't need right. so, uh, to be maintaining you know, an army over a long distance with all their it, horses. And,
3: I I agree. The maintaining would be a bit of would be uh, the more difficult task. Uh, On the same question, though, like, you can, you know, say, resupply, well, by just grabbing everything in sight. You know, you can do that, that, uh, uh, you know, um, Ulysses S. Grant slash Sherman thing of live off the land. Uh, But, you know, the the irony is not that far away. Uh, You can potentially get resupplied from the Iron Islands or from... Uh, or from the Riverlands, which aren't that far away, you know, well, the the English managed to to uh, supply their armies in France, you know, for quite some time with with very crude uh, technology, you know. So it's it's yeah, not, it's not that channel. it would be easy. It, it's yeah, not that it would I'm, be easy, but I do is think that distance, there are possibilities. this is this would be a much uh, larger
1: uh, naval supply route you'd have to establish than one just across the channel.
3: Sure, it's but you missing. know, like. I think the Crusader states is another good example of of military uh, They had military superior power technology,
0: in- though. Like, and, and, and I mean, there there was no, had nothing. I mean, the North isn't known for its heavy horse, but it has some. But I mean, the crusade, like the the Crusader knights and things like that, like that they hadn't seen something like that or being able to deal with that.
3: Sure, for a but while. my point is that they they were able to keep a military force thousands and thousands of miles away from home for you know hundreds of years.
1: Yeah, yes, but in a Mediterranean climate. <laughs> Yes.
2: Sure, that's a I would difference. like. I'm, I'm saying, would like to dismiss. I would like to dismiss the question uh, of the logistics and stuff of it for a second and just assume that, that it works, uh, as you say. Uh, okay. It still doesn't prevent the North from doing what Dorne did uh, when uh, when the Young Dragon conquered them, because they did ju- didn't did just fight a guerrilla War so that uh, Robert's comment would come in, because of course this big army could burn down everything. What the Dornish did was, uh, every time uh, the Army of the Young Dragon and later the Occupation Army of the Tyrell Lord, uh, came by, they simply welcomed them, let them uh, have what they wanted in the castle, and let them stay for a while, and then they would move on. And uh, this would still not establish any control whatsoever of the country. And at one point, uh, when nobody expected it, when they were lazy, when most of the troops were were home, they would stage an uprising, and yay, King of the North. So I don't really see why why they would lose so big time.
1: And, and if they're focusing their entire military and might in the north for a considerable yeah. period of years, what's going on in the south while you're up there messing around yeah. with that?
0: With Doran and the – well, the, I guess partly it depends what the Greyjoys do. Yeah, you know, that's like and that's one getting or the other. well
1: into Butterfly effect, except that I don't want to actually yeah. discuss. But I'm just <laughs> saying you can't just assume that if all eyes are on the north and all the military might's in the north that nothing at all is going to happen in the south right,
4: while
3: but, that's yeah. – Going what, on. I was, what I was getting at was that, you know, if, if Rob Stark leaves the South, then I think the situation in the South gets wrapped up much faster, which frees up the South to go after the North. You know, I mean, Tywin, Tywin spends a lot of time fighting Rob Stark, and if instead he can pull his, you know, 30,000 men... Uh, you know, after after the battle of, uh, or I mean, depending well, here's the on thing. when Robb Stark goes south. If, if Tywin you
0: know. goes south, Renly might speed up going north, or things might like things would change. Like if Renly yeah, doesn't die, a
3: it's a Big army yeah. I mean, right there. But the question is, does Renly have to be at Storm's End in order to die? You know, can can I mean? It doesn't seem like Melisandre's shadow babies necessarily need to. Uh, actually, that's an open question. We don't know what the range of the shadow babies are. Like uh, pretty short. Well, I mean, clearly just it can work at, at a distance. How far?
0: Like, do they just last for one night? Is it always yeah. at night that they happen, by the way, or is it...
3: Uh... It was at night with Renly, and we don't know what happened with right. Courtney Penrose. So yeah, ju- I'm
1: Just before the dawn for Renly, because it was right before the army was, right as the army was getting ready for their dawn assault.
3: Yeah. So, uh, can we, you know, speaking of Renly, uh, you know, the interesting question is what happens if, if uh, Renly and, and Catlin seal an alliance prior to his murder? Mm. Uh, because that I was think. kind of an interesting well, I mean, except that the Tyrells need an ally after Renly dies. And it's not like the Starks, you know, wouldn't be an attractive partner.
2: Yeah, but you know, just, they're,
3: they're on the run. Uh, sorry, yeah. they, they put the Lannisters on the run. They could offer the Westerlands, you know, potentially, because the Starks... Yeah. Well, don't
1: I don't think the Tyrells really cared who was on the throne as long as Margaery was sitting next to that person. Sure. So yes, would, and, and I don't and then, think the Starks could have given them that. Yes. Well, if,
0: if the Lannisters are crushed, I mean, it's already, it's already kind of happening right now. The Tyrells are just taking over. They could have just taken over and found, like, it, it, they have the military might to do so. They, they want legitimacy.
1: From, right, like, and they need the legitimacy. I mean, if it's just like, okay, we'll, we'll combine with the Starks, we'll kill all the Lannisters, we'll kill Stannis, and and we'll choose our own king. <laughs> I mean that that doesn't yeah. really impart the legitimacy that they need.
3: Yeah. And that was my that's why like one idea that I've that I've often thought of is like why they didn't the, the Terrells didn't fake like a pregnancy from, from Remli.
4: Mm.
3: I mean, obviously it didn't suit their intentions once they'd made a Lannister alliance. Right. But you'd think that would you know, if if in the event that they decide to not go with the uh, with the Tyrells, that that's one way that you can claim legitimacy.
0: Well, they might have aborted a pregnancy from Renly, for all we know, right? With, with uh, the, she I got mean, the moontie. They...
3: It, it's possible, but, you know, I, I don't know if Renly actually can, can swing that way. Um, so, you know, a, another interesting hypothetical to me, because this always seems to me a, a, a military question that ends up as a political situation, which is, if Stannis takes King's Landing early you potentially have a very interesting situation in which Tywin is now reduced to just an army, right? He doesn't have political legitimacy anymore.
4: Sure.
3: Uh, he doesn't have the Westerlands really under his control anymore. Um, the, the Tyrols have the largest army in the field, but don't have a political, don't have political legitimacy. Stannis has the throne, but probably by this point, a relatively small and battered army, and then Robb Stark is in the field. And none of the major political powers now particularly get along well with each other. And I've always been curious about, like, who would win in that kind of Cold War-esque situation.
1: Yeah, I think that would get, I agree, that that would get real messy real fast.
2: You know what? It opens the door to a freaking possibility of Tywin acknowledging Northern independence on behalf of the Lannister claim and ally with <laughs> <before> Stark. <laughs> I well, like. He, he kind of wanted to make a peace with... Him. I mean, I was
0: going sense Tywin wanted the North, but he's pr- pragmatic enough to make a deal with it if necessary. Like, he yeah, wanted to make I a mean, deal with him, like with Ned.
2: I mean, you have to look at it. I mean, Joffrey is dead because Dennis obviously killed him. He has Marcela perhaps killed, perhaps not. He has Cersei, perhaps killed, oh, perhaps I not. So... Oh, yeah. so yeah, they are all they are all gone basically for Tywin, and say, and they are gone for all. because the the whole revenge uh, thing doesn't hold any water for all. and he won't get his independence from Stennis, so Tywin could really offer it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it, it sounds ridiculous, but it really isn't. Well,
0: here, here's a, here's a bigger. I mean, even if you look back at uh, Robert's Rebellion and you see how like it stuck together after that. If Ned and Robert hadn't been as close as they were, if they'd been different people, the Seven Kingdoms is is sort of moving toward fracture. That's my th- idea is it's moving toward fracturing because it's not easy to hold together unless you have something like dragons or an overwhelming
4: Well,
1: and, you know, it, it's not yeah. just the dragons because the Targaryens yeah. held on for the most part yeah. just fine after They were well, they were coasting the past, though. They're kind of like the, an the auto The Targaryens fire. are yeah. the only family that really do have Kind of this historic right, and it's a right through conquest. None of the none of the native houses, and of course Baratheon is only half a native house because it's uh, Targaryen married uh, and the last uh, last rulers of the Stormlands. But you know, all of the other houses only legitimately controlled an area or took over for a house that controlled an area like the Tyrells, of course, were only stewards. And so I don't think it's surprising at all that as soon as the only family that really had a legitimate claim to the entire seven kingdoms was forced into exile, that the entire kingdom immediately started falling apart because nobody really does have political legitimacy well, I
2: think, at that well, point. Well,
0: it was falling apart even when, when he was there. Like, the thing is, they had the dragons, they established the rule there, and there was coasting because they didn't have an heiress to, like, break the t- the bonds that been made there, right? And then he br- broke it with half the realm, like... I think it was coasting, but it was gonna—if not now, later, maybe—it was gonna break up. I mean, but stem. even
1: after I, the dragons, all the dynastic struggle was between, you know, is it is it the Blackfyre Targaryens yeah. that'll be uh, the kings, but, or is it no. or be the Trueborn Targaryens right. that are the, but the at, kings? But at the
3: same time, I mean, this is this is one of the things that I, that I address in my Hollow Crowns uh, series, which is, you know, I get the sense—and granted, it's not from very much evidence—that there was a weakening of the monarchy after the dragons died, because you start to see them do, you know, um, they start marrying into the other houses more. Um, you know, they, they stop just purely breeding amongst themselves, which may be why they survived as opposed to just, you know, destroying themselves.
1: Um, uh, well, I, know, I I'm, I'm not, I'm not so sure about that because, um, I mean, there were still dragons when Jaharis made the decision to, to do two local marriages, which I think he did to get the, the the Targaryens accepted as as legitimate rulers outside of just purely we have dragons. I think Jaehaerys really was the, the monarch that yeah. cemented Wait, the Targaryen mar- monarchy as something beyond dragons. And which
3: marriages were you thinking of?
1: Uh I the first married an Aaron and he married uh, no, no, no. To his son. I'm sorry. He was married to Alisane. Married his son to an Aaron. Yes. And okay, okay. I'm sorry. Uh, uh, yeah, grandson. I, I, I just, uh, I just bespoke. Uh, when Jaharis decided to marry his son to an Aaron and. Wait, do, you and mean, someone do you mean, do you mean
3: Viserys the first? Because that's his grandson.
1: Right. Viserys the first is his grandson, but he he had a son as well that of course right, didn't survive. But we don't survive. know anything
3: about his son. So. Right. Uh, uh, Viserys is the one who marries the Aaron and then the High Tower.
1: Yeah, you're 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 correct. You're correct. Um, and okay. but but at his at I think probably at his grandfather's behest. And after that, I mean, they marry into the Dornish family a few times. But yeah. again, I think that's because they're getting by marriage what they couldn't get by conquest. And so they they don't start widely marrying outside of the family because many of the monarchs are still married to their siblings. Sure.
0: I guess it's not just dragons that keep things together, but it's marriage alliances. Like That's what keeps things together in a single realm. That's what right. keeps it together in a... And so that's why I want to say Stefan Southron Ambition is, is when you're talking about um, Rick and... Rickard Stark. Rickard, yes. And, and other Rickard, people, yes. Rickard, yeah. and other, Starks, uh, other people like making these marriage alliances. They're kind of like making a power base that can replace the Targaryens, that can hold the kingdoms together because every family would have been like the Lannisters and the Starks and or the Baratheons least, and the Arryns. At well, least a,
3: be. a big enough faction, that could have dominated the rest. Yeah. I mean, once you get four houses all on one side, that is a really hard combination to stop.
2: Yeah. <laughs> it was four of seven, right?
0: But, uh, well, let's, let's, let's pair it with, with that, like, what what if Jamie had married because uh, Lysa? You also have
3: the, the, oh, well, yeah, and that's always been, been one question about the, the Southern ambitions that I've always been a little bit unclear about, which is that I, I've never been sure how closely Tywin was affiliated with them, because on the one hand, uh, on on the one hand, there was that attempted marriage alliance, but at the same time, he also had a source of political power in in the Handship, and his attempt to marry Cersei to Rhaegar that seems separate from that particular power block. And I'm wondering if there were kind of two different plans at work. Uh, Tywin's plan to create a sort of Lannister, uh, uh, Lannister, uh, Targaryen hybrid dynasty, um, and the Southern ambitions and well, Rhaegar's Great Council plan.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, you do have to get the chronology together. I mean, the Cersei-Rhaegar, uh, thing was, was rejected when, when Cersei was 10, the, the jaime Lisa. Uh, Lysa combination oh, was yeah, later. That's right. And so I, I believe that that was. So maybe that, it was Plan B. Exactly that after that after you know Cersei was rejected, Tywin realized that he was not
2: going to get anywhere with with Aerys at least. Okay, but why then did this marriage not come to pass?
3: Which well, one? Cersei fucking up. Uh, uh, she, Jamie and Lysa for, for Tywin. Oh,
1: Jamie, because Jamie joined the Kingsguard. Jamie specifically joined the Kingsguard to to avoid, to, yeah, uh, right, to avoid but... a marriage to to, to Lysa.
2: Okay, another question. Why why do they want to, uh, to marry him to Lysa and not to Caitlin? Is she already engaged to Brandon? I'm I, that I imagine so. it's yeah.
3: an age difference thing.
1: I'd have to think about all of that. No,
3: I, I think characters. I think the alliance probably with the Starks probably already happened because you would normally probably. expect the oldest son to marry the oldest daughter. I mean, that's the more favorable match. But yeah. if the oldest daughter is already promised to the oldest son of House Stark then you only have the youngest daughter to work with.
1: I'm not sure what the age, uh, if we even know what the age difference is between Caitlin and Jamie. I mean, it says in the books that Caitlin was promised to Brandon when she was 12 years old. Mm. But but I don't uh, know how old Jamie is in relation uh,
3: to Let me her. just look that up real quickly. Um, now it becomes complicated. And you have to
0: keep in mind that, like, I mean, just like any other major house... Tywin would have generally I mean he was trying to go for the Targaryens, but otherwise he would've usually gone for a, a house in his area. So second daughter of another major house is still pretty good when Jamie is still like the gonna be producing the heirs.
3: Okay, so Catlin was born in two sixty four and Jamie was born in
0: What I do wanna do what I was hoping to do at the end. I don't know how much how much time do we do we have here left for this episode because we can't cover all this in one episode. This has been a yeah. good episode so far. Like do we have another half an hour left.
1: Or how do, I'll, we, I'll talk as long as you guys don't get okay. sick of it. Of what myself. about you guys?
3: Uh, Jamie is two years younger than Catelyn, so that would work. Okay, Let's so yeah, that. so if Catelyn was
1: twelve, then that that relationship, that betrothal, was made well before the Jamie Lysa one, since he joined the Kingsguard at you know sixteen. Mm-hmm. So they they were probably already. Okay, well what I
0: want to do what I was hoping to do at the end is is to go through a couple of these combinations of like marriage alliances and how they would have worked out. I feel like we could do that now and then and then sure. we can leave these other questions to some other Subsequent a- episode was that okay with you guys? Or yeah, is, is there any, is there is there one or two what ifs that you really want to cover now? Let me know. Let's cover the one or two. We've
1: gotten through the, well, the bulk just, of them. Well, the, the only thing I would ask is, you know, just just for the benefit of, of your listeners, is there anything you know kind of requested? Okay. Uh, from outside that maybe we should do one or two of just uh you know.
4: Oh, there are a couple from Dance
0: with Dragons.
4: Yeah.
1: let's, let's do, them. do that. them.
0: Let's do them. Yeah. Let's jump to that. Okay. Uh, what if Tyrion had not convinced Aegon to go west?
3: Ooh. Well, I mean, I think, I the, just big saying, I think the big difference would be that, you know, this, this nexus at Marine, the the politics would change because, you know, potentially if you fuse uh, Aegon and Danny, you have this sort of double barreled Targaryen uh, legitimacy plus this massive army of, of 10,000 incredibly well disciplined uh, and highly trained soldiers. We don't know yet what the outcome is going to be in, in Marine in terms of the politics of it, but certainly it would it would uh, it would increase the flexibility of Varys and Illyrio's strategy and potentially downplay the importance of Victarion uh, because I think his arrival is a huge question mark in terms of Danny's storyline.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, to a large degree, I think, you know, this is a better one to, to ask after Winds of Winter because I, I don't think we have a full idea yet of how this is yeah. going to play out. If, if Aegon being there now and some of the groundwork he lays now makes it easier for Daenerys to be accepted when she lands, you know, God knows when, then, then maybe it ends up being a good thing. Or maybe it ends up splintering the Targaryen loyalty too much between two different Targaryens and ends up being a disaster. And I, I could really go either way.
3: Yeah, and certainly the the fact that you know uh, a dance with dragons was the original title. You know, my my thinking is that uh, that would not have. I think they're I think they're destined to come to blows in some way. Yeah. Uh, which is probably why that didn't happen. Um,
0: well, another interpretation of a uh, a dance of dragons. I mean, it, it is like the, the fact that most of the book deals with Danny, John, and Tyrion. If they're all dragons. Ah, uh,
3: the three heads. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Which I don't, really, I don't like, because I, I like Tyrion being a Lannister. Although well, he is a Lannister, mom a Of course
1: you have to remember that the original combined book, uh, Feast for Crows, Dance with Dragons, was going to be a Dance with Dragons. So there was not going to be this super strong POV focus on those three at the expense of everyone else in the original structuring of the book, necessarily.
0: Mm. Yes. So, Stefan, you're looking at the list. Is any on that list from Dance Dragon? Do you want to ask? Uh,
2: yeah, let's just take the next one. What if John had fought Giant Giantsbane, and I would uh, take an attempt to answer it. Uh, I think Giant uh, Giantsbane and all the wildlings would simply have died and returned as whites. What do you think?
3: Uh, I I wasn't sure what the context <laughs> of of fighting Giant Giantsbane was. Like I I when I read the question, I was like, is this a duel? Is this a war?
2: I think it's a war um, probably. Uh, uh, a war. John wouldn't fight a duel. Can we talk well, about uh,
3: the one about what if Walder Frey had died before the wedding in Winterfell? Because I really like that one. <laughs> because
2: which you Walder know, Frey? <laughs>
3: yeah, I mean that's the question mark. But I think they're talking about the Walder Frey. Um, you know, it seems to me that House Frey is on the verge of imploding. Mm. Uh, you know. Yes.
1: Yeah, this has been coming. That's for sure. Yeah,
3: and uh, you know. Plus, you have the whole thing about the this wedding at the at at River Run that the Brotherhood without Banners knows about, uh, and you know I'm I'm really hoping that's a big event in in the Winds of Winter. You know, I don't know what kind of I don't know what color of wedding we'll call that one, but uh, should be interesting. I just want to know what you
1: know what wine goes goes best with with Frey's, you know, with, with Frey Pie. <laughs> what's a good pairing?
3: Uh, I my guess is it would have to be a red, right?
1: I, I would think so. Yeah. <laughs> but I wonder uh, what what brings out the best qualities of OPRP okay. Sh-
3: shadow wine. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, wine. that's gross. <laughs> well i mean we we really should should ask wyman manderley uh yeah. he is he expert. is the reigning
1: expert on on cooking frays. that's for
0: uh, sure uh, hey, he's, he's going to be contributing to the next into the crossroads book it's like roast free
3: didn't <laughs> they have didn't they have a recipe for for like a pork pie hmm. that they call, i think they have
0: it on the website at least i'm not sure if it's yeah. in the book
3: um yeah. <laughs> Uh, I like the one about what if John hadn't ordered his loyalist to go away? Because, you know, one of the mm-hmm. things that uh, I'm, I'm kind of thinking about in uh, with Dance of Dragons is that it does seem that one of the sort of running themes of the series or sorry, not of the series of that book specifically is failures of leadership. And, um, you know, the the question mark being, you know, is either Danny or John going to have time to learn from their mistakes? Because, You know, for someone who's, you know, uh, otherwise shown as a fairly smart cookie, uh, Master Eamon gives some really bad advice to Jon Snow, or at least Jon interprets it really poorly.
1: I think it's more he interprets it really poorly. uh,
3: Because sending all of your allies away and surrounding yourself with your enemies is not what I would normally consider to be sound strategic advice. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, Master Eamon's advice
1: was to kill the personal attachments. And John interprets that as meaning he needs to remove anyone that he has a personal attachment with from his presence. I I doubt that's actually how Master Eamon wanted him to
3: kill those attachments. I think think Master Eamon's point was more along the lines of, like, you need to, like, firmly establish that you are now their boss. Exactly. that it can't be like it used to be, which
1: is perfectly sound advice because i mean it's certain certainly you know he was using you know egg as his example and certainly egg didn't send away sir duncan as soon as he became king he made him lord commander of his king's guard <laughs> yeah
2: so. Yes, but you, you have to take into account that John is acting very much as Eddard Stark's son here because Eddard does the same thing in the Game of Thrones. For example, uh, he, he doesn't um, uh, take everyone uh, of his own guys into positions of power. For example, he could, could have made Jory into the commander of the Gold Cloaks, but he didn't yes. do that, yeah, that because he wants so efficient much. institutions. <laughs>
1: You know, and actually, I, I'd like huh? to touch on that because I sure. saw that in the document and it intrigued me. And I was thinking about that. And you know what I think it was, is that Ned hates politics. He hates maneuvering. And I think that as soon he planned to, and it would have been a stupid thing to do, but we know Ned, would have was planning to resign the handship as soon as he had solved the murder. It would have been political suicide. It would have been a dumb, dumb thing to do. But I honestly think he thought he was going to be there for a year, a year and a half. Do his murder-solving thing, and then retire to the north again. And so, I don't think he wanted the headache of meddling in the politics. Didn't want to start appointing his own people because he saw himself as just being kind of a temporary caretaker. That's that's yeah. just my theory on it.
3: That, I think that's a good point. Yes. I also I also think it has to do with his his conception of the handship because, th- and this is a thesis that I'm working on through my chapters uh, chapter recaps is that. Ned also has this problem where he sees the Hand as the chief advisor to Robert. And he only really once understands that the Hand is actually an institution of power in its own right. Mm -hmm. That he can just do things and, you know, not ask, you know, ask for forgiveness after the fact instead of asking for permission up front. That, you know, if he had thought of, of the Hand ship differently, I think he would have done much, much better. I agree with yeah,
2: that. but, it I does, but that uh, I agree with this uh, thesis, but it does not explain John's actions. And what uh, what I wanted to get at yeah, was okay. that, uh, <laughs> Eddard also, what, that Eddard also that also wants uh, the stuff work i mean uh, eddard when he takes up the hand of the king he wants to serve the king to the best of his abilities and if he would start meddling with all this political bullshit and put his cronies into position of power he would diminish uh, the efficiency and the power of the institutions he has to work with and i think Mm. john is kind of thinking in the same direction it is politically Mm. stupid but if you want to get a job done it is actually an approach I can understand, not necessarily agree to, but I can understand it. Well,
1: you know I, mean, you mean? I, certainly, I certainly don't think he should have been replacing people left and right. I mean, keeping Bo and Marsh as Stuart, uh, you know, would have been stupid to do anything else. But it's more like he should have had his friends on hand to, to, to be kind of a, a balancing factor in his life and to be people that were actually yeah. genuinely watching out for him.
3: Yeah, I mean, what he needed was a power base, you know, and and I think that you know this goes to the the biggest mistake that John made, which is that his reforms are all generally good. I mean, up until he sends the the navy to Hardhome, which I think was a mistake. Right. You know, yes. he does need to integrate the wildlings into the defense of the wall. He does need to get the wall manned by any means necessary. That's all good. His mistake is that he doesn't try to bring anyone. Along with him in this reform attempt, he doesn't try to build a consensus within the Night's Watch that this is a good thing. And I think had he, like, gotten, you know, Gren and Pip and, uh, you know, all of, all of the um, – and Satin and all of the, the Night's Watchmen that he gets along with together and said, look, here's what I'm going to do. Here's why I'm going to do it. I need you to go out and explain to people why this is what we have to do then I don't think he gets assassinated. I think part of his problem is that he assumes that because he's Lord Commander, that people are just going to obey him, and well, that's all well, that they need to do.
1: Yeah, and, and remember, too, I mean, the straw that broke the camel's back, they all hated this thing with the wildlings, but they were mostly going along with it. The small, the straw that broke the camel's back was basically when he decided that he was going to get involved in affairs down south. I don't mean... South yeah. of the North. I mean, you know, Ramsey and Stannis yeah. and that whole thing. That's when what kind of finally and you know, I Although, really can't fault the conspirators for doing what they did. Because while while John was right that they needed to to make common cause with the Wildlings if they were ever gonna withstand the others, and that's something he should have been working very hard to sell them on he was getting the watch a little too involved in some other conflicts and I can see well, from the perspective of people like Bowen Marsh that have been in the watch for years and years that the watch was in danger of being completely subverted and con- turned into something it was not and I can see that perspective
3: yeah I I do think that the conspiracy started earlier than the Ramsey letter because oh, yeah the
1: conspiracy sort started earlier
3: yeah it had to have it had to have taken time to organize it.
1: Um, but I'm thinking that they were still hoping that they could reason with him until the whole Ramsey situation started, and that's what made them decide, we have to make a change now.
3: Yeah, my, my, own, my own guess is that I think it was when he started to put together a plan to, like, ride to Hardhome after yeah. sending the fleet. I mean, yeah. that, was, that was really like throwing good money after bad, you know? That was very stupid.
1: But, you know, the the thing is, a lot of people criticize John and Danny both for their actions in Dance with Dragons. But you have to remember, these are 16-year-olds. And uh, even though, you know, one gets a very different education in the Middle Ages and one is considered to be an adult by 16, just the way human psychology and the brain works, you're really most of the time not ready for these kind of very heavy governing responsibilities.
0: The problem is with killing John. there is unless they did something to somehow hit the wildlings, The wildling, he, John was the ones keeping the wildlings under control, and now he's dead. Oh, sure. Like, what's going to happen with all those wildlings there?
1: Yeah. John, well,
3: John is part of what's keeping them under control,
1: but they were also all forced to convert to the
3: Lord of Light, so right, you, but you've but got Selyse that's, that's and fact, Which is that, you know, John also had a working relationship with, with Stannis, mm-hmm. and now they've yeah. killed... Uh, a Lord Commander as he's about to go right off in defense of Stannis. Like, I don't know how (laughs) Selyse and Melisandre are going to react to that. And, you know, I've been listening to the History of Rome podcast a lot. I don't know if if you listen to that. But one of the things that does seem to pop up is that as bad as a tyrant is, assassinations usually tend to backfire. Like, you just get something much worse. And I think the problem for the Bowen Marsh at all is that they've just created a crisis with both the Wildlings and within the Night's Watch and with Melisandre and Selyse. And it's just like, that's that's worse than anything John was planning to do.
1: Yeah, no, I agree with that. But I think at that point they were so desperate that, you know, they weren't... Worried too much about the later consequences. They just figured if they didn't act at that moment, it was the end of the watch. Maybe the watch ends tomorrow because of the fallout from this, but if we don't do this now, the watch ends today.
3: Right. Yeah. Okay.
0: So one more from this list if you want to do.
3: Um. Uh, what if Quentin had not decided he needed to steal a dragon? Corran really cares about Quentin Martell. Yeah, that that you know even if the the fans see him as a bit of a throwaway character for his family, he's really important. Yeah. So his death is going to have, uh, and especially the fact that he died at the hands of or at the yeah. breath of a dragon, I think is going to have a real political impact if that story gets out when Danny arrives. Oh, who were the two guys that were
0: with Quinton? One of them was um, the big man. Who was the other guy? The like the, There's, like, the guy... Gareth Drinkwater. Like,
1: yeah, yeah Gareth Drinkwater. And so he's already,
0: yeah, he's already pissed about wood. what's going on. You can see, like, if he gets back and tells a story, that's the story he's going to hear. Like, Danny laughed at him while, like, being with their paramour. Like, yeah, yeah, I think... I
2: think it just, will become most important uh, if there is a civil war between Aegon uh, and Daenerys because then the Martells are likely to put their weight behind Aegon.
1: And certainly, I just if you do a Dornish red with a charred Dornishman,
2: or <laughs> I
3: uh, I don't know, maybe maybe an Arbor gold uh, because you know I think the Ar- I think the Reach would would more enjoy the idea of of eating a Dornishman. Well, and you know a, a, a princely wine for a for a princely meal.
0: <laughs> well, what I wanted to wrap up with is just to go through a bunch of uh, possible marriage bearings that could have happened or really sure. could, couldn't have happened but we still want to see what would have happened like one in their relationship two politically um i don't know what, what order you want to do this like here's one i got from the forum was what if uh Rus had married caitlin after ned's death how would without uh, first of all marriage wise uh, political wise
3: i mean assuming that he that she doesn't murder him uh <laughs> you know uh, in his bed after the red wedding, I mean, well, the
0: red wedding might not have, like, I mean, it might have been something to find oh, that closer, right? That's the political aspect, but I mean, personally, uh, he, he seems to not mistreat his wife. He's mis- he's, a, yeah. he's a horrible person with what he did, but, but in terms of his current wife, she seems happy.
3: Yeah, I mean, you know, he he doesn't seem to be a terrible husband. Um, Ned and Cersei are are interesting, uh, just because I don't think Cersei's uh, plan to to breed pure blood Lannisters uh, would. Would work. Ned's not that drunk, and he's not that stupid. Uh, <laughs> okay, the, question, the
0: question there is: Would Cersei have would, would been content with uh, with a different? I mean, like she seems like she would have been content with Rhaegar. Yeah. Right?
3: Well, so, you know, the question is if, yeah. if you know one one potential scenario for Ned and Cersei is you know uh, what if Ned sits the Iron Throne uh, yeah. because Robert dies unexpectedly of his wound, Yeah. and the Northern Alliance needs somebody to. You know, I don't think Ned is the more likely candidate. I actually think that makes Stannis and Cersei yeah. well, uh, more
0: interesting. Which We'll, we'll get into in a minute, but for, for now, Ned, let's say Stannis dies too or something. So we have yeah. got to Ned and Cersei. What happens there? Okay. Uh, that I
3: mean, you know, uh, I don't know how well they would get along. Uh, certainly, they don't have the best temperament. Cold war. But Sorry. Cold war. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the other hand, I think you Ned not treated Ned, her well
0: initially, which would have yeah, been done a lot. not
3: right? Ned, Ned isn't a drunk.
0: He's would not have, going he he to wouldn't have whispered a wife. Shara in her ear. like.
3: Uh, yeah, probably not. <laughs> um, you know, they might have, I think at best, it would have been one of those sort of very political marriages mm-hmm. in which they don't really love each other, but they realize that they have to work together. And they're actually working for each other's benefit instead of Robert and Cersei, who were, you know, just dysfunctional. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that would be an interesting pairing. The,
0: the, the issue is, though, I mean, depending on what situation leads this, Ned isn't the type to be sleeping around, but if he does have somebody like Jon there, like, he does have that one bastard, what happens to Jon? Yes,
3: that's an interesting <laughs> question. I think Cersei probably would have killed Jon as a baby.
1: Yeah. yeah. Or well, tried. I, I think, I think, Adder, you know, would have sent, sent him back to Winterfell and kept Cersei far
3: ah. away. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe instead of Benjen taking the black instead ned you know says no you're gonna stay at winterfell you are going to take care of this child who is my bastard son wink wink yeah Uh, Yeah, no i I think that's
1: very i I think that's probably how it would go down you know benjen (laughs) would take the black
0: well i think we had this discussion Stefan, before or you were asked this and like why you thought benjen went to the wall and i mean i feel like it's kind of negligent to send somebody like benjen to the wall when apparently there's no starks except for like a few people in the veil that have like far descendants like
3: You know what I think it was? And this is, I'm somewhat ashamed to to say this, but I found this idea on a fanfic. But it kind of, I don't know, there's something to it. It's possible that Benjen either knew or helped Lyanna to elope with Rhaegar. And that the shame uh, and guilt of having inadvertently caused the death of of most of his family uh, was what prompted him to take the Black because, you know, he was like, what, 10 years old? Uh, when the war broke out, so he must have joined the Night's Watch pretty quickly.
2: Mm. Mm. It is an interesting idea. Might
0: be.
3: Mm.
0: I think it's one of those ones where, where, where they, Martin needed a benjamin at the wall. But if you actually looked at it from, like, a really deeply, like, why is he there? Like, he, he would have no, been much more I useful to have like uh, I mean, married off somebody. I don't know when... if he
3: does, because he's been missing in action since, yeah. like, early book one, you know. But that means his his return gonna is come... going to be a bigger payoff. <laughs> I hope so, but it's going to be, like, the longest... <laughs> it's going to be, like, the longest brick joke in, in fantasy history. Well, of course, there is the question of when he did
1: join the Watch, which we don't really know.
3: <laughs> well, it had to have been... I mean I think he was in the watch for at least I want to say like 10 15 years because Mance Raider certainly knew him Corrin Halfhand knew him well, Was
0: he first ranger?
1: Yeah he was
3: first was, ranger. Yes. I mean so like he, he, he must
0: have taken some to it. To- yeah. Well you know I mean, also the Lord's brother.
1: <laughs> right because he, as much as what he said uh, to Jon Snow about you know here you get you get what you earn. Uh, the fact of the matter is that your Mormont sent Waymar Royce out in command of a ranging because he didn't want to, uh, you yeah. know, offend his father, not because he yeah. earned it.
3: But on the other hand, that was a ranging of of, of three men. Well, um, oh, no, no, I know, but I'm just saying, mission. right? But
1: as as a, as a yeah. noble, a well-trained noble, he's going to have the competence oh, yeah. for it. yeah, I mean, I think- he'll,
3: yeah, he'll be on the on the leadership track.
1: So uh, I'm just saying I don't think he would have had to have been there uh, a terribly long time to rise to first ranger. I mean, certainly at least five to seven years, but not right. necessarily ten to fifteen.
3: But you know, you know what, you know what convinces me it's the fact that all of the wildlings know Benjen Stark. Like he's become sure. a name to them, and almost more so than like Edard. Like when when uh, Brand's about to be captured by the wildlings. They don't say, oh, this is Eddard's son. They say this is Benjamin's nephew. Right. So that, that gives me the the feeling that like he's been their sort of their number one threat for a long time.
2: That yeah. he's become this figure. Yeah, but Benjen. the wildling is also notorious more.
3: Yeah, that's true.
2: Okay, so let's so, move back on
0: to oh go ahead. You had another comment? Stefan? Blackfish and Loras.
3: Woohoo
0: <laughs> 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 Okay, so Blackfish and Loris, what do you think?
3: Uh, that would have been Interesting. Um, certainly, I think it's, <laughs> you know,
0: well, just, in the Kingsguard, maybe. We'll yeah, that's
3: possible. Um, you know, but you know, they certainly have martial interests in common. Um, too much of an age difference. That well, you know, it's Way not too like much age, have big, big age differences that's, that's fine. Like, uh, um But uh, you know, the interesting that that does bring up the interesting question of like why we haven't seen. The the Tyrells trying to exert more of an influence in the Riverlands because you'd think like geostrategically you know the the Westerlands is a hard nut to crack but if you're trying to expand your influence the the Riverlands you know seem to be the way to go there's a lot of really rich territories and not a, and no defensible borders uh, between the Reach and the Riverlands so I'm I'm surprised that they haven't uh, they haven't tried to marry up there more and you know. Grab more territory. What was the you know, issue with course. the
0: southern uh, ambitions? Is like, did they have anybody available to, to marry in or to try to, or maybe they didn't want to bother dealing with that?
1: Well, you know, we, we do have a lot of family trees for Tyrells for since they intersect with a couple of other families, and it does seem that the Tyrrells seem to prefer marrying their own bannermen. There's yep. a lot of Florent Hightower, red wine yep. kind of. Yep. They're, well, they're but,
0: but everyone did that. that. That's the point of like Stefan's essay. It's just like that was so right. odd that, that suddenly that generation everybody was going to marry.
1: Exactly, upwards. and I'm just saying the TRLs don't seem yeah. to have been a part of that. I think yeah. their their greater ambitions are are more recent yeah. than yeah. than some of that.
3: On the other hand, the TRLs yes. do have, you know, the the one thing that uh, they have in abundance is you know marriageable uh, you know offspring and relatives of, of either gender. Um, so, you know, I think that's kind of a sign in and of itself. Like, if they'd wanted to make a marriage alliance, there are, you know, cousins and, you know, galore. They could have made something happen, but it didn't.
0: I think that, they, didn't they, they want to marry the Queen of Thorns to a Targaryen at some point, And she said no? I think she mentioned uh, like that.
2: That's what she says. Yeah.
3: Um, let me see. Or she's a,
2: she's a, a red wine
1: by, by birth, by blood. Hmm. I think it's a red wine. She's not a Tiro. So, and I think she's a red wine.
3: Yeah, so red.
0: let's go back to Stannis and Cersei, This is more likely. Oh,
3: God. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I, you know, I think that would have been a terrible pairing in kind of the reverse way that Robert is, which is just Stannis is so stoic and closed off. Like, certainly, I think he... Well,
0: maybe he he'll have a be, sexual awakening. Like that,
3: That's a possibility, but, you know... <laughs> Um, and he certainly takes to, to Melisandre, um, you know, and he certainly wouldn't be a drunk and he wouldn't be a wife beater. So those are pluses in his column. Um, on the other hand, he's tough to deal with. And, you know, I got to think on the other hand, and, and this is going to sound a little bit weird, but the similarities in temperament between him and Tywin might've actually made it work
0: should like have a daddy complex
4: <laughs> uh, a little bit <laughs> a little bit well oh, here's the other yeah. thing
0: Stannis was like what 18 or something at that time oh I, I, I don't know if he was married or not in the book canon no, but i mean yet.
3: he was married yeah. he married after because he married yeah. a he married a florence so
0: yeah. and they had that i whole don't thing. think
3: it was yeah. very long after maybe like that it, one was
0: quite a possibility if robert had died a, from his wounds like it was a uh, boss-
1: in terms of his age he's he's about a year younger than robert maybe even slightly less like 10 10 yeah. months or so i mean they're they're almost the same age
3: oh that, there's a what if what if yeah. stannis was the oldest of the three brothers can you imagine that
0: well, I mean, par- partly when you're oldest, your personality changes a little bit, and and, and here's the thing: we've met Stannis. Now I like Stannis now, but uh, but I mean, we've met him now after all these things have happened to him. Like when he's 19, he hasn't lost storms, and he's just held it. He hasn't like lost it t- to Renly and you
1: know, if, had a shitty a,
0: marriage, and like all these things that affect him later on.
1: If there's a poster child, a poster child for middle, or middle child, child complex, child, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's Stannis.
0: Yeah. yeah. That's probably that's probably that's why a lot of middle children like Stannis. I'm sure that like a lot of the Stannis fans are middle children (laughs) seeing a reflection of themselves. But I'm saying this is Stannis before half of his life, where a lot of like bad things happened uh, to him. He's a little well. He's already seen
3: his mother and father die in front of him. And and he you know in this scenario he would have just gone through a year long siege. You know I think that siege was tremendously important to. uh, tremendously important to his development yeah, as a. But it, it was the
0: consequence of he does that siege and then he gets shit. He gets dragonstone, whereas yeah,
3: I mean he, he, if he, he becomes could, king, like he's or it's gone from siege. Yeah, he'd to, certainly be less yeah. resentful. Yeah. Um, but I think that the the core of the sort of the strength of will and you know determination to never give up, uh, I think, was laid down in the siege. True. That he was just like, if if you survive that kind of a siege. Uh, you got to think that he was just like, okay, I can do, I can survive any, I can outlast anything now. You just
0: got to compare what happened to him. He ends up going to Dragonstone and, like, having that, right? Yeah. Like, and it was not his choice. And, and, like, and again, he gets, like, at his wedding, like, Robert, like, shames him and blah, blah, blah. Whereas now he's the king and he has a hot blonde wife. Like, that's a big t- difference. Yeah, sure.
3: You know, on the other hand, he's still, you know, even as a child, still joyless everyone, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. He would still be a joyless bastard, <laughs> but I could certainly see him being, you know, a, uh, a more contented, uh, you know, I mean, he'd certainly be, I, I could imagine him as like a workaholic king. Like <laughs> well, if Robert's the the absentee king. Like Stannis would just always be working, uh, and he'd probably be good at it.
1: But um, but then there's there's of course the justice side. I mean, part of the reason that they were able to come to to peace and bring it all to a close is that Robert, at John Aaron's advice, was was very generous to those uh, that were defeated. Uh, all indication is that Stannis would not have been.
3: Yeah, and and that is an interesting you know the the flip side of that though. I mean, while I agree that that uh, Stannis would definitely have made peacemaking a lot more difficult if you look at the people that stannis wants to get rid of he does target the people who are the most dangerous conspirators against the realm like varus littlefinger pycelle cersei you know like i'm not so sure that he maybe wasn't in the right um about how to deal with the de-erification of uh the royal court
0: well clearing out clearing out the court is 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 one thing and and, and holding against the Threllos is another. Like they're yeah, two separate Yeah, that
3: things. would be the, that would the, be the kind of
0: yeah. Well no, but, the, but the, the, I don't the, the think he didn't have a, have
3: a beef for the, the
0: Dornish. No, like they even thought he might he might go down there and try to gamble for Dorn. That's what Tywin was Actually,
3: worried. you know you know what? Uh I can imagine Stannis doing if he took the throne he would definitely have Gregor and Emery Oh, killed. he
1: clearly would have done that, but then what would that have done with his relation to the Lannisters? I mean, maybe that makes him friendly well, with Dorne, see, and then it makes the thing. Lannisters really pissed off. I
3: don't think it pisses them off that much. I mean, Tywin would certainly be spooked, and he would not be happy. But if his daughter's the queen, that's the more important thing. And ultimately, you know, those are dispensable bannermen. That's what they're there for. It, it certainly would have changed his reputation among the Dornish. I mean, I, I still think they would have ultimately been Targaryen loyalists. But you know, if if the king you know dumps the dead bodies of the people who murdered your uh, who murdered your family at your feet, I think they'd be slower to act against him. Mm. I mean, certainly, I think they still would have been conspiring because at the end of the day, he's married to the the daughter of the mastermind of your house's destruction. But uh, you know. I, I, I think it would have blown things this down.
0: This leads me to two to, to whatever is uh, related to this. It's just like you know, in that rebellion, and let's say Rhaegar um, gets away, or like something happens different with the Trident that it goes like it's ambivalent. Like what would have happened there? Because it seems like there's still a lot of forces on the the loyalist side, right?
3: Sure, the yeah. the Tyrells were still in the field with sixty yeah. thousand men, you
0: know. And the Dornish, I mean, it could have. Got another army out of there probably. Like it,
3: yeah. They could have regrouped. Yeah. On the other hand, the, the Tyrols are known for being uh how should we say, deliberately uh inactive. So it may be that, yeah. you know, if you fled to the Tyrols, that the Tyrols were you be mean like, like
0: they were they were taking their time at Storm's End. It was actually a benefit to just be sitting there and
3: oh, yeah. not I, being involved. I think, yeah. I think Mace made a very deliberate. Well, I think I think the to, Queen like, of Thorns made out. the
0: deliberate decision probably and just yeah.
3: <laughs> use our <their> son <laughs> yeah but no i also think that mace's personality lends him towards those kind of choices like he he seems a very very cautious uh guy most of the time okay
0: um the other question i wanted to ask is uh which we should have we we, we we're going to cover it and then we forgot to is what should the Greyjoys have done instead of going north and what would have happened if they'd gone to the like if they'd taken rob's deal for example
2: Sorry, what would have if happened they taken Rob Steele, if they went to hit the Westerlands? The Great Joys. Oh, uh, if the Great Joys had taken Robb's deal, uh, they could have gotten away with it because raiding the Westerlands from sea uh, would have deterred others, especially the Tyrells, to throw their lot in with the Lannisters so quickly. It would have eroded the Lannister power base. So uh, I guess that would have really helped Rob's cause. But it is some kind of superfluous to think about it because the Greyjoys just aren't that. They think in terms of conquest and not yeah. in terms of political gain and what is rationale.
3: Well, I mean, I think they could have conquered Lannisport, yeah. certainly. Yeah. Um, And actually the big, I mean, almost more important than, than what the Greyjoys would have been able to do is that by not taking Moat Kalin Rob can now get supplies yeah. and the other half of the northern army down south, which would have made a yeah. huge difference. Well it, and mean, of course another you know
1: another huge difference is that if winterfall winter fell winter, uh, doesn't fall, yeah. Caitlin doesn't necessarily go all crazy with all my children are dying left and right. I have to get my daughters right now. And, and
3: doesn't necessarily play the Kingslayer. It's,
0: it's really yeah. the whole war right there, because the Tywin has to come west faster
3: when, he, when he's facing two guys. Oh, much faster. Causing trouble uh, yeah. And, you know, potentially loses, because at this yeah. point in time, I mean, I think one of the things that, that was the sort of the shocking thing for me to learn that kind of prompted me to write that essay, is I didn't quite realize that Rob had about a 2-1 to one military advantage over Tywin after the Battle of the Camps. You know, he really didn't have numbers, Tywin I mean, on the ropes. Yeah. Hmm?
0: just I mean, yeah, in, in terms numbers. of numbers after he got the, the lords back and all of that, yeah.
3: Yeah, like, in total numbers, like, Tywin was down to 20,000 men. Oh, but
0: he had the ability to muster more, and that's why Rob took him out, right? Like, he, had, he was mustering yeah. a second army.
3: Yeah, the mustering was an issue. But again, like, if right. the Greyjoys aren't an, aren't an issue, Rob can also muster, muster. another 17,000 men out of the north, which would have been a huge, you know, game-changer. I hate that word.
0: I think the the problem is that just Balon, that guy, was not open to this idea, or just wanted revenge. Let's say like Balon had like died and Asha had (laughs) somehow taken over. Oh yeah, (laughs) that would have been. a a Well, that's why one of
3: the um, alliances that marriage alliances that I'd like to throw up on the board is what if Rob and Asha Greyjoy get hooked up?
0: Let's go back to these marriages. So Rosh and well, Rob would have had a more exciting sex life for sure. (laughs)
3: And, (laughs) you know, I think they could have gotten along well. I mean, they're both interested in military conquest and, uh, you know, that would have, you know, set off a whole chain of events. I mean, in regards to, uh, you know, being having a much more open hand in terms of dealing with the Riverlands and the Lannisters, Um, you know, and, and one of the things that it kind of pointed to for me is that, you know, as as necessary as getting across the twins was at the time. Trading his hand to the the phrase was kind of a bum deal in that he only got four thousand men and he could have gotten a lot more uh, if he had been a little yeah. bit freer to,
1: to marry. Well, of course, in that case, it, it wasn't so much about the manpower. It was about at that time they needed to get to King's Landing three days ago. Yeah, you know, it's kind of like or there is wrong, no time. I mean, and, river and, run, like to get to. to no, river. no, no. To get to King's Landing, we're talking about you know defeating Tywin in the field and then rescuing Ned. I mean, I, I know they had, uh, the phase one was getting to river run, but it's, you know, it was about more than than that is is what I meant by that. And I also think that probably in this instance, you know, Caitlin wasn't the best negotiator to send in because since it was her husband on the line, she, she was probably a little bit impaired in her judgment in terms of thinking rationally about what the best deal you can get is.
3: Yeah. I mean, you know, I think, I think Walder might've taken, uh, the, the deal that he he essentially offered at the red wedding at the twins then and there like if they'd yeah. said you know your daughter could be the the lady of river run I think he might have gone for that I well, think and, and still was,
1: and still the still have the aria uh, so you mean, know oh yeah, sure. yeah
3: that would have been a good deal for him uh, even so I think it was more Uh-oh. Oh, an issue of like he threw out... and then instead of like yeah.
0: So I just want to finish going through these relationships and then we're done. So if you can stay okay. for that, that's good, Stefan. If you have to go, let us know. But I don't, I don't plan to do any more okay. what-ifs today, just to go through these relationships because it's fun. You
1: might have to get Stephen back again, though. I, yeah. I think we might have lost him. Losing him.
3: Hello, I can hear you.
1: You're back. Okay. Oh, okay. You you cut out several times in your last uh Ah, yeah. Sorry.
3: All, right. All right. No, no, no problem. Uh, let me see. Where were we? Um, we're just
0: saying that it, it wasn't the best of deals to give Rob away yeah. as a merit. like that was a big. This is the king we're talking about.
3: Well, actually, he's not the king yet. He's the, not
0: the king yet, though, is he? Yeah,
3: but he's still the no, lord of, of, of Winterfell, winter.
0: which is a big, yeah. Right,
1: And, and that, that's another valid point. I mean, if he had been king in the north at that point, maybe they oh, wouldn't
3: have point. made that yeah. kind
1: of marriage alliance. It's too big of a jump, yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
3: Um, okay, which do you want to do next? Uh, Walder, Frey, and Catelyn, or Jaime and Lysa?
0: Let's do Walder, Frey, and Catelyn first. Because she thinks about, like, she was lucky that he didn't... Uh, <laughs> Oh this this is the, i guess making up for the betrayal, right? That they were going to try to get a replacement and they put Oh yeah,
3: yeah. yeah. I mean yeah. I don't, I think the only difference there is just that she becomes his captive after the red wedding. Um, yeah. you know, and he has got both I mean actually the big change there would be on the phrase because chances are that she doesn't get killed at the red wedding. We don't get a Lady Stoneheart and then a whole bunch of phrase don't get killed.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I mean I think I think she probably would have ended up Dead still because I mean, remember, they were planning not to kill her at the red wedding. Yeah, was kinda only went, she kind yeah. of she kind of went crazy. Well,
0: like, it depends what they would have. I mean, Wall Frey would have wanted to see the death, he wanted to see Rob, Rob die, so he wouldn't have like, left. Uh, you, like, it seems oh, like, oh, that's
3: a good point. Like, yeah. if, yeah, if, if he had
0: left to like consummate the marriage or something, then they, they would have been out of it. But I think I feel like he wanted to see Rob go down. Oh, he absolutely did. he didn't want to miss that, so yeah. Okay, Jamie and Lysa, Stefan, what do you think?
2: Huh. I still think uh, the the implications of such a marriage, especially in taking into consideration the th- southern ambitions, would be really great because it creates this one power block you can not stand against. But the two of them as persons, I guess Jamie would be out a lot to fight and hunt and ride land and check borders and do very important stuff that keeps him from the wedding band.
0: No, I think again we're making a mistake of of looking at Lysa of what she became after all these yeah. suffering and like mishaps. Yeah, and exactly.
1: All that, I right? was just about to say this. It's pretty clear because you know Lysa was John Aaron's third wife, and John Aaron hadn't had any luck fathering children in previous yeah. marriages, and of course Lysa had, seed had was a baby. Weak. <laughs> and so exactly, and so no, no, I no. Think... Uh, I'm. Oh, go ahead.
2: I'm just thinking more uh, from Jamie's perspective because uh, he doesn't seem to be interested that much in any woman besides Cersei. And while it is true that the Eliza Arryn that Jamie would have married isn't the deranged woman we meet in Game of Thrones, she wouldn't still not be Cersei by a long shot. She's obviously not... Uh, the, the sharpest tool in the box. She's not especially um, uh, calmly, so she, well, no, she was a was really. I, I think, think she, she was actually quite
1: situation. lovely when she was a child. She just really went to, to pot. No I, I, no, I agree that there would still be many of the issues that, that you just alluded to. Yeah. It's just, I don't think Lisa Lisa would have been quite so crazy. Yeah, but
3: because, you know, the thing is without the abortion um, and the subsequent miscarriages, and we don't know to what extent... Um, taking that dose of pansy effect. tea affects fertility. But, you know, yeah. I yeah. think if you give Lisa a handsome husband uh, and a healthy baby right at the smack outset of a marriage, yeah. that she's going to be a lot more mentally stable. Um, exactly. You know, yeah. and I think she's, you know, I, I think she's capable of deluding herself enough about how Jamie feel, feels about her to be reasonably contented the The yeah. political side of it is quite interesting because Jamie's not on hand, therefore to be, to join the Kingsguard, which means he's not the Kingslayer, right? Uh, which potentially means that, um, well, first of all, the war could have been over in an instant if I mean if Tywin's in charge. I don't think it's an extended two year war. I think it's a very quick coup d'état. Um, you know, and who knows? You know. My only question is, and and uh, this is something I've I've always wondered, is Tywin doesn't seem to be to me to be a kind of person who would go along with a group activity without being the leader. So I think he would have demanded leadership of the southern ambitions group in order to join them.
0: Yeah. But here's the issue though. Let's say let's say yeah, like this true. this happens and they win, and so Robert is with the Cersei, Jamie is with Lysa. Like that's putting closer ties between Riverland and West. It's going to affect things way, like, even though Robert Cersei fails. Like that's kind of, getting a bond there. That's like kind of
3: changing well, the yeah, whole situation. and here's you're the, not going to have Tywin start a war when when um, they're already
0: when on had his had side, kind of. Like, uh, yeah,
3: he he wouldn't he wouldn't do that. He'd certainly send military forces to try and recapture his son, but he wouldn't attack the the Riverlands because that would be attacking his son's you know wife's it, you know that would just be it wouldn't make sense he'd probably try to get the riverlands on his side and like hey Hoster go tell your daughter to stop <laughs> fucking with
0: me Alex you're saying
1: Oh no never mind
0: uh, so you, you basically agree with that then yeah,
3: mm-hmm.
1: yeah.
0: so that that one marriage could have changed things hugely mm-hmm. maybe for <laughs> All right what else do we have here why what is why is Jamie and Cersei here who put that there like the formally uh, having a relationship like that that's well, just seem... because
3: Jamie brings it up mm. I mean okay I mean I think if they get married then you know they're condemned as incestuous, <laughs> you know, traitors and rebels. I don't think that's happening. Um, let me see, Catelyn and Brandon. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, if she has a baby, then Ned Stark doesn't become Lord of Winterfell.
0: Oh, you I mean like let's say like before he dies, before Brandon yeah. dies, he fathers a baby. Right, if they
1: if they had been married before before
3: that happened. Because he Since was on it's... his way to the to River Run to get married when he found out. So let's say instead that's he correct. finds out right after the, the wedding.
0: Mm. Interesting, mm. yeah. Well, does Ned still marry Caitlin then, or is he ma- marry somebody else? Like, he just gets married as a widow. He just he takes his brothers.
1: Right, I, I think that would change the political situation because, you know, it's kind of the idea of the brother is fulfilling the marriage contract because the original person in the marriage contract is now unable to, yeah. you know, do yeah, it. Yeah, I, so-
3: I think with the son there, then, you know, Ned acts as... Um, I don't think that would be Lord Protector of the North until uh, until you know Brandon's son is of age and then goes off and does something else.
1: Yeah, I think it was he was actually pretty much. I mean, they don't really go into this too much, but I think he was pretty much obligated uh, under Westerosi tradition to to step in and marry. Yeah. Well,
0: it's two things. I mean, yes. He, well, I, I, even if he wasn't obligated because of the p- original pact, he needed to because he needed their troops. Yeah. Like it was a military decision, like military political mm. situation.
3: Hey, oh, so. maybe maybe uh, Ned gets married to Ashara Dane.
0: That's a, well. Uh, that's assuming that Ashara was interested, first of all, because there's, yeah, there's a whole and- now.
1: Now there's this whole wrinkle with the yeah. correct about whether. which yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: let's just say let's say that she was she would have been she was interested in that. That that would be that would make an interesting north south <laughs> connection. Yeah,
3: Yeah. um... Yeah, I'm really curious about that. Uh, Littlefinger and Lysa back yeah. then. I, I mean, put,
0: I put that down because... Th- here's the thing. Oof. We don't want to make the mistake of saying that Littlefinger does everything theories, but he definitely has a huge impact, and part of oh, that sure. is the way he grew up. Like, what happened and he d- wasn't able... But like it's like he, he was put into this role. Or Littlefinger and Caitlyn, even though that's not going to happen. But like, yeah. Littlefinger and Lysa could happen because they have the baby, and they're like, oh, well, let's marry her until Littlefinger... It, like,
3: it's possible. But, it's just that Hoster acted so... I mean so profoundly against that union that, you know, I'm questioning... Now, maybe they elope or something. That's possible. A secret elope, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, I think the major change is that certainly Littlefinger will definitely still want to rise in power because he's not going to be content to be the littlest lord in the Seven Kingdoms. But I don't know whether his rise to power is as homicidal, (laughs) um, you know, and vindictive as it is in the series. Because, you know, if you look at his... His political strategy. A lot of it has been through the manipulation and elimination of um, of his rivals. Uh, uh, sorry, not of his rivals. Of the fa- of the two families that he views as having hurt him. So uh, maybe I don't know. Maybe Littlefinger is more constructive uh, than destructive in his rise to power.
0: Well, I still don't even know. Like, I mean, if we talk about Littlefinger and Caitlin, I don't know how that would have happened, but that yeah. happens like it, a lot of it is just the fact that he didn't get Caitlyn is just what he's and 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 like that set him off on the, i gotta, i mean do you think he had that ambition before of all these things or he would have been happy if he'd just gotten married and that was i it. mean i
1: think, I, I think that somebody who dares to aim that high and dares to fight a duel with a much larger person is someone who is full of ambition. At that point in his life, it was being directed in a foolish manner, because he was in love, for raging hormones. But that speaks to great ambition in his character, I think. Yeah,
3: I mean, I think he would have been less happy to be married to Lysa than to Catelyn. Yeah. Um, but at the same time- yeah, Well, he think, was
0: married to Lysa later on, i heard about that,
3: actually. Yeah. <laughs> he didn't um, did
0: get married to Lysa, but that's a whole different yeah, scenario, Yeah, but I mean, right? like, yeah.
3: you know, if, if, yeah. if he was instead, you know, just a lord in the Riverlands, Hmm. You know, I think he probably would have done fairly well. He he probably would have uh I don't know, become master of customs at uh Seaguard or something. Um and, you know, prospered there.
0: Now here's a question. When 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 Littlefinger and Lysa got together in the books, had the Jamie thing was that already over or is that still a potential
3: thing? uh I think that was over.
0: It was already certainly. he was already in the King's Guard by that point.
3: Yeah, certainly uh Jamie was not uh going to be engaged to a uh to what? a a ruined woman. Well,
0: that's the question. Like, was he already in the Kingsguard when that thing happened? Because if he wasn't, that could have been a damper on the whole thing. But I think he already.
3: I think he couldn't have been because they they wouldn't have even tried if he was already in the Kingsguard. Like they yeah. like Hoster would have just said, "Well, that's impossible." Um. So it must have been like.
0: Well, here's the thing. Like, if he's in the Kingsguard, they still might have aborted the baby because they wanted to marry her to somebody else. I'm just trying to think. When did the pregnancy happen compared to Jamie being in the Kingsguard? Can we check it's on? Gotta that? It's got to be
3: within a few years of each other because you know he they were engaged to be married roughly when he was like 15. When he was 15, yeah. I want to say, and uh, the abortion happened hmm. uh, in. I mean, must have been around like 282, right? Because oh, because uh, when when John Aaron gets married to her, she's already had the abortion.
0: I think I think the point is: did didn't they mention that when, when when Jamie was being brought into King's Guard, like the threat of her him marrying Lysa was an issue? Didn't yeah. Cersei mention that? So that that shows, regardless the entire... of the pregnancy, it was, it was probably afterwards. Yeah, like or or, or or it didn't have an impact, or maybe she didn't know about the pregnancy, right? That doesn't mean like it, like maybe Cersei doesn't know about what's going on in the Riverlands.
3: Yeah, I, I you know? don't think I don't think the pregnancy was an issue then. Yeah. I, I have a feeling that it has to have been a few years later.
0: Yeah. Okay, do we have any other ones left here? I think we're almost done. Oh, well, I guess I put Viserys and Eryon if, if Doran had actually been more active about that or done something or let him know.
3: Um, I, uh, all i got to say sorry. is that I think that Eryon would not have done very well in that relationship. Um, and I don't think that uh, Viserys would be long for this world. Because... <laughs> It His is not going to put up with meal. someone beating her. Like, that yeah. just would yeah. not have He'll be me. like,
0: wow, this meal is really tasty. Like, particularly tasty this time. <laughs> and then, and then
3: he died. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Why does everything taste like almonds,
0: <laughs> Uh, What else we got here?
3: Okay, I if you want to get really crazy, I mean, Oberyn, Martell, and Cersei. Mm. And uh, Jamie and Elliot. Like, the, there could have been this really interesting Lannister-Martell power block if, if Jannister if Jenna Lannister had had her way.
0: Mm. Oh, you I mean, um... Not Jenna. Jo- um,
3: Joanna. Was- Joanna jo- and the...
0: Oh. And, uh, yeah. Yeah? yeah? That, that, I mean, like, what happened there? And that's because she died? That that's, yes. all of yeah.
1: the- that's exactly why they were, you know, they were making the trip out to Casterly Rock uh, to, to kind of put that all in place. And by the time they got to Casterly Rock, she had died giving birth to Tyrion and that yeah. put into that jo-
0: so and joanna and like the martel lady had been like together as kids ladies in waiting
3: it, it, together friends I like think, so yeah.
0: that kind of like You see how, how much influence is there from behind the the scenes or oh, right? even I like mean, with tywin and joanna
3: was the wore the pants in the family so i, I that's think that's what it, they've
1: the old saying went the you know tywin you know ruled the kingdom and joanna ruled tywin or something like that
3: yeah that's i think she probably said. would have gotten her way um
0: yeah. Wow, that's an interesting. So let's say that they have the double marriage there, or even one of them.
3: That's. uh... That would have oh, vastly
1: altered things, considering that Elia would not have married a Targaryen, and yeah, I mean then some of this they
3: could have married.
1: <laughs> who right, and would Rhaegar have married someone more his... robust who could have more children? Because the whole reason for him doing his crazy thing was... But that
3: couldn't happen because the
0: gods needed the prince that was promised and it all had to happen that way. So that's the thing I don't like about <laughs> prophecies. When well, prophecies are, see, are, are and it's guaranteed to be true.
1: But right? it's not necessarily guaranteed to be true because it seems like Rhaegar screwed things everything. up. He misinterpreted a lot of stuff.
0: Yeah, but like if if John is the per- one there, that the only way he could exist is the way things happened.
3: Well, like but John... but hold on, hypothetical scenario: if the double marriage happens, maybe Rhaegar goes to Rickard Stark and offers his hand for Liana before the Baratheon <laughs> connection is made. Well, uh,
0: wasn't there a big age difference there though? I mean, but she might not have even be seen as an option initially. Uh, no.
3: Well, she was fourteen. Uh, Rickard might the... have
0: brought the option up, maybe. And Rickard might have aimed higher.
3: Yeah, I mean, geez, you know, why, why go South for a, a mere Baratheon when you can get, you know, your your daughter is queen? Um, but
1: but and of course, here's the thing too. I mean, not to get too philosophical on it, when you know the prophecy and you know the result of of the prophecy. Like, you know there's supposed to be a prince that's promised, and let's just say for the sake of argument that we know Jon Snow is the prince that was promised, even though that's not strictly true at this point. Then from our perspective, we're like, well, all of these things had to happen for that person to be born and for that to be that person. But that isn't to say that the prophecy couldn't have been fulfilled a completely different, different way. way. It's just we feel locked into that. You know, just kind of like just with the Dune books where Moadib's always like, you know, to know the future is to be trapped by the future. Mm. Not necessarily one path to the okay, prince who is promised. Are,
0: there are multiple paths that could get there. Um,
1: it, it might not have been Jon Snow. It might have been a completely different person with completely different parents that fulfilled the same criteria in some alternate universe is all I'm saying.
3: Mm. But it would star- get, produce an end. You well,
0: it, 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 does it have to be even Stark Targaryen? Is a question. Like, uh,
3: well, is, I mean, that's been the the dominant interpretation yeah, of the, the Song you of
1: Ice and Fire. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So, you know, what else that means? I mean, who knows? All right, and and I and
1: that that's clearly the way it seems to all be going down. I'm just saying, if you're talking about hypotheticals, we didn't necessarily have to get to Jon Snow, but that is the way this story is playing out. That that's a, a little abstract, but that's all I was getting at
0: uh okay uh, <laughs> i think, think we're, we're done here i think we're done all right like, cool. uh yeah yep. do you want okay. to plug the book oh yeah okay so thanks for listening everyone and if you enjoyed the discussions you probably enjoy reading some of our work which are in a, several forms right now we have um, the ebook flight of sorrows which is available on amazon and our website store um, coming out in the fall is a collector's edition of A Flight of Sorrows, I believe, in October. and
1: yep. um, That'll so be a limited edition. Only one-month
0: release, right? So the, if you want it, you can only get that one month. We'll be Excellent. advertising that again before then. And then I believe coming out next spring is the next ebook, A Hymn for Spring.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, just about a year from now, uh, June, yeah. I think June 14th is the, is the yeah. day.
0: Which will uh, all be – all, all of us are contributing to that one, right? Yep,
1: yeah. yep, absolutely.
0: Excellent. So yep. thanks for joining me, guys. Okay. It's great. We had some good discussion here. It
1: yeah. was a pleasure. Cool.
0: And uh, ch- check us out on our website, uh, on Twitter at APOIF, on DeviantArt, and all those things. And uh, we'll see you next time.
2: Bye-bye. Yep. Bye.
0: Cool. That was good. Bye. All right, that was good. That was a good episode. I don't know when I'll edit it, but I'm glad that I got the record. Sorry for taking so long. <laughs>
1: oh, no. It's, uh, I, I, had nothing, I had nothing planned. But, uh, it's always it's a pleasure done. being on the show, so uh, I appreciate that.
0: Yeah. And sorry about that, Stefan. You seemed like we kept cutting you off a bit. I was trying to get you back in there. It's, sometimes it's hard to, to handle a big conversation.
2: Yeah, no problem.
0: Okay. Cool. So w- when I do get this out, I will email you all like the, the, the link and all that so you can share it up there whenever I do get the actual episode out. That's good. Actually, I had a question for you, Alex, uh, okay. f- from the forums. Somebody had a question for you specifically. I think it was is is right now is a is Dance of Dragons on the website yet or it's not?
1: Not all of it. No. Not all um <laughs> <laughs> I am working on it. I mean, you know, when this this year is, you know, basically this is the tenth year that I've been working on this stuff. Uh, Tower of the Hand isn't quite that old, but my previous website I started working on in two thousand three. And uh, you know, I, I was a college student then, I had a lot more free time. Mm. Um, you know, and this was and so I'm still working towards, in fact, I have been making updates. I haven't been doing chapter summaries recently, but I've been updating the, the character pages and character summaries pretty regularly. I'm through the B's now on that and kind of going through all that. And uh, so I am picking up my work and I've also streamlined my process a bit. Uh, which should help me get them up a little faster. Because part of the problem is I'm, I'm actually doing a Feast for Crows and a Dance with Dragons together. The Feast for Crows chapter summaries are already on the site and have been for years, but mm. I've been updating them to, a, to a, what I think is a better format a, as I go along. And so, you know, it's 120 chapters worth of material I'm doing. And even with the rewrites for Feast of Crows, it takes maybe two hours to do a single chapter uh, when you count the reading and the note taking and the typing up and everything, and so, so is,
0: it, is it just you that does these then, or is anybody else that's
1: involved? It, it is only me, yeah. uh, and it's, has been since the beginning of the okay. site. Uh, we do have some people to proofread. Oh, you do, um, but uh, and obviously I don't get involved with any of, of the other content. I mean, the wonderful essays that, that Stefan does. I mean, when it comes to essay writing, we have people that that are much more thought provoking and, and talented in that regard than I am. I'm content to to keep with summarizing uh, and. So it, it is only me that does it, and it's just, you know, time is more of an issue now than it was when I was in yeah. college, you know, seven or eight years ago. I mean, I'm 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 flattered that everyone, you know, keeps asking about it because, <laughs> I mean, I think it's great that, that people, that there are people out there that care about the summaries I've done, and... Uh, I mean, they, they will be there. They will certainly be there before Winds of Winter is there. I'm, I'm not going to put any more definite date on it than that. But, I mean, if I have to if I have to kill myself to get them out before Winds of Winter is out, I mean, I will.
0: So, yeah, So there, the question was, uh, or I guess in terms of, like, proofreading and stuff, like, so you have people doing that or people – there's no way for other people to get involved. Like, yeah, I mean, there's,
1: there's not a wiki. We've had people volunteer and uh, trusted people that have volunteered. We have, you know, given some access to to allow them to do that. Okay. Um, so, you know, I mean, if someone has an interest in that and has been posting, you know, for a while, someone we know, uh, there's certainly no problem with hitting us up. Uh, you know, my partner, John Jasmine deals with most of the front end kind of stuff. Okay. But, you know, uh, but I've told him in the past, I have no problem with people doing proofreading. And at some point we're probably, and I don't know when, cause I certainly haven't even consulted on timetable with John. So I don't want to make that something like official. At some point we're going to turn to addressing the show and summarizing events in the show. And that's something we're going to open up in some way, shape, or form. I'm not going to try to to juggle all of that on my own and that whole separate continuity in addition to the books. The books I'm going to keep under my control all the way to the very end. But when we get around to doing the show, we are going to let some other people participate. What we'll probably do is have me do an episode or two (laughs) myself just to kind of establish the format that we're looking for. And then turn that loose to other people.
0: Cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I'm just gonna, I guess, wanna say goodbye. I just had the one last question. Well, two. One for Stefan is like, because I'm gonna be asking this to some other people as well. Is what your your prediction for Winds of Winter of um, when when it's gonna come out? I guess. Or and you can give two answers. When you, when you think it's gonna come out, or when you hope it's gonna come out, and when you really think it's gonna come.
2: out. Yeah. Well, I hope for yesterday, of course. But uh, <laughs> what I think is that uh, that Martin could uh, could really do what he just announced, that he will be finished by the end of 2014. That sounds reasonable. I don't have anything different to say on
1: yeah. that. I think it's going to be 2014 and later in the year, not earlier.
2: Cool. Uh,
0: and One final thing is, so you, both of you guys played the board game. Like, I mean, I talked to you, Stefan, about it before, right? You've played the board game before? Yeah.
2: Do yeah. you still play played it played. at all? Yeah. Um, I don't come around to it very often because it's simply a question of time. Uh, what I want to do uh, in the near future is to try this new modification they brought out, uh, the Dance with Dragons, and obviously yeah. a Feast for Crows, but I haven't even gotten yeah. that yet uh, I have, because uh, they seem to shorten the game.
0: Yeah, oh Feast for Crows, especially, is yeah, we play uh, PBEM, which is like online. Uh-huh. What you do is like you you check email once a day and you do like a move or something. Like you yeah. can do more moves if you want, but it's it's really a slow pace. Just you just once whenever you check you like once a day. But what, what we generally expect is like in the morning when you check email and night when you do see if it's your move and then do your move. And then over a the course of a month or two, you play a game. So it's yeah. actually pretty fun. It's not it's not, it's not not a huge time commitment, because you mm-hmm. just do the move or two, but uh, you get to play, we played with people yeah, in Europe fun. and stuff. So I thought I might host a game in the future. Not, not right now, because I'm actually playing one right now, but maybe in a month or two, I might host one and have, like, you and Alec, get, like, the, some of the big people in the fandom to play a big game to fight for the Iron Throne.
1: Yeah, no, that'd be yeah. cool. I, just, I used to play a up. fair amount uh, a few years ago, but basically what happened is, me and my group of friends, when it comes to playing board games together, we're all kind of sons of bitches, and... This is a game, you know, very competitive. So basically, someone would take a turn, and then there'd be about half an hour of different pairings of people going off to plot alliances and counterplot alliances. <laughs> and then someone else would take their turn, and then half an hour of discussion. And so the games really started dragging on, and a couple of our less mercenary friends were starting to get kind of fed up with the humongous length of the games yeah
0: well two two factors first a feast for crows even in person like there is diplomacy but there's only so much you can do it's more of like you're just you're all racing to get your objectives
1: yeah Yeah. i've never i've never played the feast for crows version i've only played the old version you have cards
0: that you try you basically try to cash in and get points and it's like a race. it's not really a military conquest although half the time having good military helps but not necessarily. you can still lose the game like you might have like lost all your army but still win the game if you've got all your points properly but sure. uh, so that speeds things up. And the second thing about PBM is like when you play like basically, for example, you have a six turn game for Dance with Dragons. Oh, yeah. each, each turn is about a week or something. And because it's just slow paced, you, you, you do diplomacy by email. You're like email. Oh, bridge, yeah, right? no. like, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm
1: familiar with you know how, how, how yeah. play by email works. No, and, and I'm not one of the ones that got fed up by the long games either. That was someone yeah. else. I, I enjoy the, the Game of Thrones board games. Yeah. So that, that could definitely be something interesting to do sometime.
2: Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so in- please include me when you start it. Sure.
0: Like, okay, you, you got we got three people here so far, so I just got to get the others there. But uh, yeah, we'll do that. This this is probably won't be for a month or two because it takes a month or two to. I don't like to play too many games at the same time. Oh, sure. I, <laughs> yeah, I'm right. Yeah. All right, guys. Good chatting with you, and I'll be in touch. That was a lot yep, of fun. Always a pleasure. Yeah. So, you, so. Uh, maybe one day yeah. in the future we'll do a part four and finish off the rest of those what-ifs, but uh, no rush on that. <laughs>
1: sure. <laughs> I'm always happy to be on as long as it works with my schedule so
0: cool all right see you guys see ya so Alex yes. like, I guess we'll see you tomorrow then actually
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely no I'm looking forward to it I that's don't gonna
0: be me. a big one you yeah. see the document we got a lot of stuff
1: yes there yeah <laughs> yep looking forward to it yeah.
0: thing about uh the guys not out is all of us have pretty much um podcasted with each other before so we're used to like cutting into each other and stuff because you kind of exactly. have to right you have to Cut in and say your thing and quickly and move. Yeah, on, I mean, when right?
1: you have a big group of people, and I, I, try if I hear someone talking at the same time, I try to be like, no, go ahead. But yeah. you know, sometimes you just have to, to steamroll yeah. a little bit.
0: Yeah, because <laughs> but you, we're, you're, we're not talking in person here is the, is the thing. When you're in person, you can see like who's going to stop and start talking, but
1: well, exactly, on, yeah. and and to a degree, you can do a little editing, you know, in post yeah. to minimize the amount of talking over that actually comes yes. in the final product. So like, right. you, can't,
0: you can't give it all in one chunk. You got to give, you got to break your opinion into four chunks and alternate it, you know. Exactly. It's a little bit different than uh, in-person chat. But anyways, I guess I'll see you tomorrow.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, nope. I'm looking forward to it oh, again. So cheers.
0: All right. Yep. Bye. Bastards of King's Grave, the illegitimate offshoot spawned from the aching loins of a podcast of ice and fire.
2: Vassals of King's Grave, a subculture of a subculture. Loyal Banner People, to a podcast of ice and fire.
0: Hey. Hello. Hello. Hi. <coughs> All right, let's see if
1: this is working here. I'm not on my usual computer due to technical difficulties. Can you hear me okay?
0: Yes, yep. I can hear.
1: Wonderful. <clears throat> can you hear me? Yes. Yes. Good. Okay.
0: So have any of you guys met before? <clears throat>
1: yep. Uh, Yes. On on the webs uh, yeah. certainly Stephan, uh, Stephen Steven Stephen and I haven't haven't met before. I'm I'm Alex Tower of right. the Hand co-founder. I'm love love your work both on our side and on your blog. So what I'll what
0: I'll do is uh, once we're ready to go, I'll I'll do an intro, and uh, then I'll be like introduce yourselves and what websites you're from. You can do that, and then we'll just jump into it. Uh, have you all looked at the Google Doc? <clears throat> I, yep,
4: I have it sure up here for me. Cool.
0: Let's see. <clears throat> and we'll, we'll we'll start with uh, just a brief discussion of um, Stephen's article since he's here. I thought it'd be good oh, thank you. to talk about that. It's, it's at the start of the document, and then we'll get into the what-ifs. <clears throat> <clears throat> How's everyone feeling? You got water? You got snacks? <laughs> uh,
3: actually, yeah, let really really me grab fair. some uh, water. Okay. we will be back in a second.
0: I'm not going to put a date on this one. I'm going to do that intro later. I think I'm just going to get this recorded and see when it gets edited.
4: Yeah. <clears throat> All right. <clears throat> Is it,
0: uh, how's the weather over there? <laughs> it's hot here.
2: Uh, very rainy weather. has been bad since
0: <clears> throat> throat> I was watching like this. I was just like browsing YouTube, and uh, you're you're in Germany, right, Stefan? Yep. Yeah. Like these these guys were like is, is it is it not it's not very sunny there right like it, most of it compared to the states.
2: No, not really. Yeah, yeah. it's more rainy most of the year. Yeah. We had some some <laughs> sunny strokes, but not much until.
0: But you you you're always like uh, posting stuff on Twitter about like U.S. stuff. You seem to be pretty following that a lot.
2: Like, yeah, US I politics. do. Yeah. <clears throat> Only only national politics, though. I'm I'm not into uh, any specific local politics, for example, uh, what goes on in Alabama or something (laughs) like that. No,
0: it was this, it was this clip from Fox News where they were like, "Oh, solar power doesn't work in the states. It's far less sun than Germany." And I was like, "Wait a minute!" <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's just great. It's
4: just bullshit. That, that's <laughs> I,
2: I think if if I know it correctly, New York is on the same geographical height as Italy, hmm. and, and we're a good deal north of Italy, so. <laughs>
1: What what part of Germany are you from? Uh,
2: uh, the southwest. It's called Baden-Württemberg, which is uh, the m- uh, most southwest state. We have a common border with France uh, and Switzerland.
1: Yeah, no, I, I know. I uh, I I lived for a couple of years in uh, in Kaiser uh, uh, Okay, you know. no, 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 that's not
2: exactly my area. In in, in Rhineland-Palz.
1: No, I know you're. I know you're further south. I, I'm just saying. I, I you know I I I lived in Germany for a couple of years in, in Rhineland-Palz. <coughs>
2: Just, you know, uh, there's still the, U.S. troops there, right? Yeah, yeah, they, uh, pretty much. They just they just closed one of their really big bases in Heidelberg. Uh, there were yeah. about 20,000 soldiers or something, and they closed it down. But they didn't uh, withdraw them. They just went to some new super headquarters <laughs> stuff thing. Uh, but, uh, yeah, we have pretty pretty much uh, American troops left.
1: Yeah, the, the Kaiserslautern military community, which consists of several bases, is is the largest Uh, US population outside of of the United States. There are over 40,000 Americans there, counting both uniformed personnel and civilians.
2: Oh, that's that's cool. Uh, In the town where I live in uh, Stuttgart, there are barracks there, uh, the patent barracks, but I don't know uh, exactly if they are in use anymore. You can see them on the traffic signs everywhere. Pat- the Patch barracks, not patent barracks. Patch barracks. Yeah, Patch
1: barracks. Yeah, I mean the, the army. Really, had, I think they had a
2: op- tank force uh, in the old days, but I don't know if they have yet.
1: <laughs> yeah, the the army has really cut back on its on its German uh, presence since you know you don't have the the Cold War NATO Warsaw Pact thing going on anymore. But the air, the air <laughs> yeah, force. Yeah. <laughs> the, the the air force still has has a lot uh, a lot of personnel there because it's still very convenient for things going on in north africa and the middle east
2: and yeah yeah they use ramstein really a lot mhm and and Landstuhl as well which
1: is uh near near ramstein which is where the ma- the major hospital is basically anyone uh, you know who who gets seriously wounded uh, someplace in in our foreign wars ends up at lachdol first before they you know come back to the states or or what have you so
0: do you Stefan have a recorder? Uh, no, I could activate one. Should I? Yeah, one of us should have. We, should, we need one backup. It's always good. I always record, but it's good to have one person backing up. So if you if you have okay, one, okay, I, I, I
2: activate
0: one. I can't let this precious yes. discussion get lost.
2: So. No, no, uh, that <laughs> would really be. We have cut back our own military uh, very drastically too, because you know no one expects a tank war in northern Germany anymore. <laughs> right. <laughs>
0: how are the military viewed there? I mean, they ha- the fact that there's US troops there, doesn't it seem like a little redundant now, or like, is it neutral, or do they want them to go, do they want them to stay, or?
2: No, no, mo- most people uh, simply don't care. <coughs> uh, the communities where they live, uh, they are actually very indifferent in most cases, but uh, the economy uh, in those uh, localities, they depend very much on the military. I mean, it's 10, twenty or 30,000 troops, uh, they, they pose some serious demands, so, no one wants them gone, besides some extremists on the left and right. Uh, but uh, but it is not like uh, there would be demonstrations uh, to cheer them all the time. As I said, most, most people don't really care. It's only now with the prison scandal that people get a little bit more heated about all these issues. Because for some reason they don't like to be spied upon.
1: Funny that.
0: Well, if you have nothing to hide. Yeah. Um, oh, and, and,
1: yeah. And that that reminds me a very fond hello to whoever is listening in on this current conversation.
3: Well, you kind there of think it's more in the interesting world. most than most of the conversations that the NSA has to listen to. I mean, I think the you know boredom has got to kill you know worse than anything else. You know, listen to you know three hundred million yeah. Americans you know talk about you know. Oh, did you pick up that thing from the store? What thing from the store? That thing from the store. Oh, yeah. You know, after a few hours of that, I want to kill myself. Did you get that
1: thing I sent you? (laughs) Yeah. Well, there's probably a tagline in there, you know, some podcast of ice and fire, uh, you know, entertaining the NSA. Since, well, I'll tell you, you this.
0: The, I mean, they, they seized most of our archives when they took down Mega Upload, so that might have been a factor. Oh, there. dear. Yeah.
2: Oh, and Mega Upload was run by a German, so we, we really get into some <laughs> serious trouble
1: here. <laughs> <clears throat> That's true. Being being on an international, you know, Skype call here yeah. with, with non-U.S. Uh, US nationals could, could really get us in some <laughs> In some hot water <laughs> yeah
0: yeah okay so i'm ready to to start us off if we've got we've got a second recorder going so do you have that
2: yeah i i could record no problem
0: okay well let me know when you open it uh
2: okay i do it now <clears throat> right.
0: so what i'll do is after the intro i'll, I'll be like so we're going to cover uh steven's article like Stephen, please give us like a summary of it and then we'll just sure. chat about it and then move on to
4: the what ifs <clears throat> Uh, Ready when you are. Okay, I'm going to do the intro now.